Hey, Andrew. Hey, Greg. Are you excited to kick off a brand new and very exciting and worry-free 2020? Yep. The world is great. Nothing's wrong. We've got only positive things to think about and look forward to. Yeah. yeah we had a whole two days. <laughs> This one before before things started to get real shitty real fast. Real shitty. <laughs> yeah. It's like what are you fucking serious? We're doing this? It's not even could you wait till February, man? Yeah, at least give me a couple snow days before we get to this, right? Yeah, Come on. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So there was that. Um, and then I had you and I were just talking about it, but then I had a health scare with my dog. And it was funny because we actually had he's he's got a little, you know, a little growth near his eye that, you know, we should probably get removed before it gets bigger and starts like potentially damaging his eye, damaging his eye. And we were like, you know, like we've known about it. And it's like it's like the first week of the new year, you know, and we're like making our plans. We're like we're going to hit the ground running in 2020, make our like kind of map out our year. So we make this spreadsheet of like. Here's all the like the major expenses we're kind of planning for in 2020 and like the major travel we're going to do, blah, 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 blah. And right on there is like Burley surgery, you know, and our little estimated amount. And um, and, you know, we've been putting money aside for um, pet emergencies or, you know, other like expensive pet health things. And it's like, cool, we got that money saved up. We're ready to go. And then like the day after I finished all that planning, all of a sudden my dog gets very mysteriously sick (laughs) and almost to the and this is how I knew it was the universe just punching me in the face almost to the dollar. The amount of money that we'd saved up all of last year to be ready for like pet expenses almost to the dollar is how much this all cost. Poor little buddy. So, yeah. Yeah, no, he's great. He's fine. Everything's better. But it was just that, you know, again, of like, oh, seriously, 2020, you couldn't even give me a minute. Ah, so <sighs> that sucks. How about you? Any any uh, fun New Year surprises? Knock on wood. Not yet. Um, we have a lot of like a lot of stuff going on, you know, just like. I mean, going to bed and not sure if we're going to be at war was not very great when I woke up in the morning, you know? Yeah. That wasn't cool. I was pretty I was pretty stressed out, actually. Usually, yeah. I don't let this stuff get to me, but I was like, mm, this is a big deal. Well, um, yeah, because it was this one especially because I was following it pretty closely. Also, this actually, the night, um, the night that Iran launched the missiles was the night I was in the pet ER with Burley. So I got that going on and I'm just like trying to like, you know, he's back there and they're giving him the exams and I'm just sitting in the in the waiting room like, you know, just scrolling through Reddit, just trying to distract myself. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> but like the potential for World War Three was kind of scary because it's like everyone has like this isn't like back when we were like pushing a rock around and mm. it was like. Yeah, it's like Iraq and like a couple little countries that end in Stan. Like, it's fine. Like, nobody's coming to Iraq's rescue. But like, Iran's pretty tight with China and Russia. And those guys are pretty big. So it's kind of like there's a like there is a real World War Three potential here. Uh, But thankfully, we're not there. And it looks like um, it looks like things are pretty chill right now. So, yeah, somehow um, someone fucking put Trump in a box and was like, listen, we're not doing this. I hope. I don't know. 
I have a I have a friend. He may or may not be listening to this episode. Uh, he works in the Air Force, and I kind of always, you know, he's you know he's behind the scenes in, in some stuff, and I'm always just like, so like it's going down. He was like, yeah, it's not good, and I was like, oh god. <laughs> so uh, yeah, um, you know, I, I like to think that there's try and stay glass half full and try and say like there are enough mechanisms for releasing pressure in the world that hopefully we can avoid that i was even really worried about like a world war three situation i was just like to your point iran is not iraq iran is a very large country with a lot of people and a very large military and much more organized than iraq was and not that that's going to impede us in any way but it's not it's just it's just bad all of it's bad right war is bad war is bad we have we have first of all we as america we haven't really won one since like the 40s true um and even that was with a pretty big assist from uh atomic weapons and communist russia <laughs> um very true and also like that was kind of the last one and again it's been it's been 80 years now since we've all agreed like yeah that was that was one that we should do but before that, there weren't many that we can look back and be like, yeah, gotta, that one needed a war. Um, yeah. So it's kind of like war is dumb. Yeah. So let's not do it. Let's just yeah. not. Let's just not do any. Let's not do this anymore. Yeah. So. Okay. It's enough of that. But. Yes. Uh, let's hope that, you know, the really important stuff this year goes the correct direction. Uh, but yeah, I mean, did you have nice holidays? Did you have a nice we, break? We did. We had, um, you know, our holidays were, were you know, um, we're very fortunate this year that our holidays were stress-free and um, drama-free. Um, you know, it can, it can always be, a with anybody's family, it can always be a little bit of a, uh, of a question mark of how things are going to go, but uh, everything went really well. Uh, everyone, you know, it was a very relaxing, restful time. Um, I feel like you, you know, when you've had a good, whether it's a vacation or a holiday break or whatever, when you get to the end of it and you're like, yeah, I'm kind of ready to go back to work, you know? Mm-hmm. Because that that means you've 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 gotten all of it out of your system, you know. You and you got the rest you needed. Um, so that that was the feeling I had at the end of it. I how about you? It's good. The first half was very busy. First three mm-hmm. quarters, even because we had like you know we were my parents for a couple of days, then Shay's parents for a couple of days, and then we were effectively home for less than twenty four hours. And we had a wedding back in Lancaster. Mm-hmm. Stay overnight for that. Come back, and then we had a we have our. We had a big, you know, New Year's party we always kind of throw because my wife's birthday is on the first. Mm-hmm. Um, and then then it was kind of like and I was lucky. We were all lucky that uh, the school I work kind of gave us some gimme days on the second and third. They're like, mm-hmm. yeah, don't worry about it. And we're like, cool. Um, but it was nice. Um, some good times. I mean, I, I like that. I like party. You know, I like to hang out and drink and eat and whatever. So but those last four days, we did a lot of nothing. Yeah. A whole lot of nothing. A lot of like couch, pajamas, takeout. Netflix, that was pretty good. That was yeah. pretty good. I, I watched some things, though. Yeah. And did some things over this break. How about you? I have. I um. I, I actually got a chance to watch things and play things. And, cool. Um, yeah, and we can talk about those things. Yeah. Uh, so I know that you watched The Witcher, and I'm watching it, but we're going to put a plug in that because I think we're just going to talk about it later. Is that cool? Ye- well, you talk about it later. 
tonight or later? Like another episode. Okay. Yes, that's cool. All I want to say is for folks who are listening, um, you should watch The Witcher. Yeah. It, it, it's good. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about how good it is, but it is absolutely worth your time. And um, yeah, I, I and 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 watch it and enjoy it. And um, it takes it. it yeah. Maybe once you get to about episode four, I think is when things really start to pick up. I mean, I think it's a, it's it's really good, but I'm just saying as a recommendation, go watch the show, watch it all the way through. It's good. Yeah, I for me, I, I mean, I just finished episode three. I was hoping to watch more of it, but my friend was like, "Don't watch anymore. Let's watch it together." And I was just like, "Yeah, but I, <laughs> I want to." Uh, okay, fine. Uh, so hopefully, get that get that done soon. But uh, I got episode three for me was just like when that show was like, "Okay, we're doing stuff now." Like, yeah. The first episode was good. The second episode, I was like, okay, like, this is fine. Like, it's, it's good enough. But um, I just, you know, I can see the pieces that are being put together now. And it just, they just did a really, so far, they're doing a really good job. And I'm excited to see where it goes. And I hope that, I mean, I know that the showrunner said she has seven seasons plotted out. Mm. Um, I mean, she's got a, it's fun because she's got effectively two different versions of source materials to kind of pull from. It's true. Uh, and I'm also, I've been kind of jump back into the witcher partially because of the show but just because also because like i've been like slowly picking at it and kind of like falling off a little bit and getting back in and i actually like finished the, the final the main quest line and uh in the got game in, in the game in the yeah. witcher 3 in the witcher 3 and i am now doing like the expansions uh, mm-hmm. that they added later which are seem pretty cool so far um but it was crazy because I was I watched an episode of the show and then I, you know, picked up I was looting something and picked up a letter or book or something. And like the first couple lines were just like describing the events of what I just watched in the show. And I'm like, oh, that's cool, man. Like, yeah, it just feels something cool. I'm definitely going to check out the uh, the books at some point here. Yeah, I've heard they're like, you know, there's rough points, but eh. uh, what doesn't have those at this point? Um, but yeah, so I watched this isn't really on brand for us, but have you heard of the show called you? I have heard of this show. <laughs> Do you know what the show is about roughly? Um, it's a stalker show. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's based on a book. The first book is called you. And the second book is called hidden bodies. Uh, I think the show was originally designed to be on lifetime, which is not a good, like, uh, endorsement. No, it doesn't feel like that though. It's, I mean, I think when Netflix, took it on they were like yeah we're gonna do a good show and i'm not gonna say it's a good (laughs) show but it is definitely like one of those like compelling shows and Mm -hmm. you want to watch it so the second season of that dropped and shay and i binged that in like about about a day and a half uh we binged because it's one of those shows like every episode ends in a cliffhanger and you're you know follows it's kind of like a you've got this guy and he's very charismatic and he's the protagonist of the show but he's also like a stalker slash murderer and you hear there's like a, a narration throughout the show of like, you know, his what he's thinking. Uh, it's uh-huh. very funny. It's very kind of clever. Um, the show does a really good job of making you like and I can't tell if it's gross or not, but it like makes you kind of root for him. But then constantly pulls around your feet. You're like, they're like, yeah, remember this guy's like not not a good guy. Like he's bad. Like and the first season was like, you know, it kind of follows a pretty predictable arc. where You're like, OK, I know this is going. And you're like and then that way through you're like. I know where this is going. And you're like, at the end, you're like, yeah, this went where I thought I was going to go. And it's not great. Um, but then the second season, it, it kind of turns the narrative on its head a little bit. And I don't know. It, it's it's a fun. It's fun in a weird way. Might be fun in a gross way. I don't know if it's a little <laughs> bit like 
I'm sure it's problematic in a thousand ways, but uh, it captured our attention for a little bit of time. And it's not like super like thrillery or anything. So if people get like freaked out, it's not like that. Uh, we also watched uh, Midsummer. Yeah. Um, Shay really wanted to watch it. And I was like, okay, like, let's take a stab at it. Um, yeah, that was a movie that uh-huh. was weird. Uh-huh. Um, with some assistance by the internet and you, I, I get it now. At the moment, I was kind of just like, I kind of get what this is going for, but I don't really fully understand. Uh, but it's beautifully shot. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've read some bad takes about it and I'm just like, ew, like people who didn't like it were just like, yeah, this, this poor guy got, you know, gets drugged and raped and then his girlfriend kills him. I'm like, whoa, you watched a different movie than I did. <laughs> yeah. It's weird that it's, it's weird to empathize with his character and like, look at him as the protagonist. That's a strange take. I mean, I. I think it's one of those things where the movie does such a good job of making that guy like very realistic, you know, like a lot of relationships can have that dynamic at times and not as bad as maybe it gets towards the end. But like in the beginning, you're kind of like, oh, like maybe she is a little too, too clingy or whatever, you know, and also the, the trauma happens and it's fucked up. But like it, you kind of get this. They walk this line of like, I wouldn't say at any point you're like sympathetic to him, but doesn't feel like he's like a monster you know it's no. just like this is just like a bad fit or something like yeah I, I, and I, and he's kind of he's kind of gaslighting her but like not in like a aggressive or you know right. super super uh manipulative way maybe towards the end it gets a little worse but i mean i think that the and, and that's part of the the quality of the writing and and the direction is that nobody in the show with the exception of Maybe the one really asshole kid. Yeah, that guy was grating. Like nobody's like an actual like horror movie villain. Like, yeah, the boyfriend's a bad boyfriend, but he's not like a bad person. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, he's kind of shitty, but not in a the way a bad boyfriend in a horror movie often is, you know, where it's almost cartoonish. Right. You're just like, he's not really malicious. He's just self-centered, you know? Yep. And um and she's not really malicious either but they have a, they have a weird codependent relationship no neither one of them is really a villain but neither one of them is really perfect either but it's a very natural like just kind of shitty relationship for both of them yeah um you know they they do have that codependent passive aggressive thing but um I feel like the movie sets it up to just like not not that either one of them is necessarily a bad person, but the relationship is definitely bringing out each other's worst sides. Right. Right. You know? Um, yeah. But she it's clearly her movie. Like it's not this movie is not about him. No, no. Um, yeah. Very interesting. And reading more about it, the fact that I think the director, what's the director's name? Uh, is it Ari Aster? I think so. Yeah, so something along the lines of like, you know, we did a lot of research for this and like nearly all of the the things shown in the movie, whether, you know, from the more mundane to like the most gruesome, like are all from something like they said that, you know, the scene where, well, I shouldn't spoil anything, I guess. No, but, we can spoil it. Yeah. Um. Well, the scene, it's fairly on the movie where the, the first real gruesome scene happens where the, the old people throw themselves off the cliff. Yeah. The ritual suicide. Yep. And they have those hammers. It's like, yes, those hammers are based on things from museums in, in Scandinavia. And 
that's what they were used for. <laughs> just like, holy shit. Like, what? Yeah, I've read that the, like, ritual suicide of the old people is a, maybe a pro- apocryphal. Like, it may not have actually happened. It may just be, like, local myth and legend. But even right. so, it, like, it came from... It's not something that he necessarily made up. Right, it came from something is what I meant. Like, it yeah. wasn't just, like, wouldn't it be cool to show xyz uh and like that guy got a fucking blood angel and i was like ugh, gross yeah um, or um uh blood eagle blood eagle sorry yeah. yes i um, almost thought the bloody cross because I've, <laughs> I've been reading joe abercrombie again but ah uh, anyway let's not get distracted we're talking about midsummer yeah um but yeah it was very interesting um i she was like oh that was interesting like maybe we should watch this other movie i'm like i don't think that movie's for us <laughs> <laughs> the hereditary that other movie being Ooh, um i don't know i mean i think it's it's a little more straight horror isn't it um yeah yeah um but i think if you if you felt like if you felt like midsummer was like a movie that was like thought provoking and like aesthetically pleasing with a couple gr- gross parts hereditary is all of that with some scary parts um but i i think it might be worth a shot if you like her if you like midsummer then hereditary is a i would i would argue a better film yeah i i've definitely heard that's pretty much unanimous con- like you know agreement that that's the better film of the two but um yeah maybe we'll check it out then i mean uh we definitely enjoyed it uh we watched two more movies over break actually mm-hmm. it was a very movie high break one is older so this is not we don't need to talk about this much but we watched um Shay's brother was in town and he's a big movie guy and we're just kind of just browsing through HBO and whatever else to see what was around and uh, one of those, you know, this horrific like, what do you want to watch? I don't know. What do you <laughs> want to watch? It's like, kill me. But um, he recommended this this very good movie. Uh, Thank you for smoking. Seen oh, that? Yeah. 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 Good. Like, you ever get, I think it's on, I think we watched it on Hulu. So, it's one, I think 2006 it came out. One I'd never seen, but mm-hmm. enjoyable. Uh, the one I want, really want to talk about though is something once again off brand we watched the i guess you call it a romantic comedy uh long shot with seth rogan and charlie stern mm-hmm. it's on hbo right now mm-hmm. uh you know i really like that movie weirdly really? enough yeah have you seen it no no uh, um, i mean i've heard it's i've heard it's good yeah it you know it follows a pretty typical romantic comedy structure mm-hmm. although maybe not quite as like cliche at points uh and it's got a very different setting because, you know, the premise is that uh, Charlie Theron is secretary of state basically running for president. And Seth Rogen is a like super left, like down on his luck uh, journalist who then kind of know each other. And she sort of he sort of becomes her like speech writer, or speech doctor. Yeah, it almost starts out like like the premise is almost like. Somebody did like like the spec script or the pitch almost sounds like a like 2016 election porno parody. Yeah, because it's like, all right, so it's basically Hillary Clinton, (laughs) but she's young and hot. (laughs) And the dude is like Chapo Trap House, but like she's his babysitter. Yeah, Yeah. but but Um, obviously not that. Anyway, continue. Yeah, but I just, I mean, at a pure just like enjoy, enjoyment level, the the jokes are funny. Like I laughed a lot. I don't think I've laughed as much in a movie in a really long time. It was really funny. I mean, Seth Rogen, he just, his delivery, I mean, he's always playing the same guy, but like his delivery is 
good. And she's surprisingly very funny. She is. I've never she's, seen her in that kind of like more comedic role before, but her delivery is great too. And they really have a good chemistry on screen. So like, you know, it's got a pretty good message. I think that like, you know, cause there's sort of this whole like, yeah, but like we really can't, like this really can't work in this context. And you know, the kind of going through the different motions in that way, but it was, it was good. I, I, I mean, it's definitely some a lot of commentary, but uh, Bob Odenkirk plays a president, and he's fucking awesome <laughs> yeah. in like the worst way. And uh, Andy Serkis plays a ridiculous Andy Serkis character, and it's just like a really good cast, and it's good. It's just I just like if you like yeah. that sort of thing at all, or if you don't like, I was like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll watch this. I'll play Eternal or whatever. And I was like, turned it off, and I was like, no, this movie's this movie's funny. Are you making me want to watch a rom com? Aren't you like the rom-com expert, dude? I, no, I am not. <laughs> I mean, uh, I don't mind a rom-com. I just think that good ones are few and far between. I think that if you don't mind one that you would enjoy. It doesn't have like the doesn't have like the tropey like other guy. I mean, I guess it kind of does, but it's like it's never never seems realistic because the tropey other guy is supposed to be like kind of like a Justin Trudeau like clone but he's like really derpy and uh it's pretty there's i think you'd enjoy some of the humor in it just from the political side of it and you know it's pretty it's pretty crass but in like the funny way and yeah uh yeah it's just it's just good just good how about you would you watch anything cool who um i didn't really do much on the movies front um however i did watch um, well, I watched The Witcher twice. <laughs> so, and the reasoning for that, I know we're going to talk about The Witcher later, but anyway, the reasoning for that was I, I put it on, I, I started watching it before Christmas and I just kind of had it on like as I was wrapping presents and, you know, doing my like meal prep stuff. So I was kind of half watching it and around episode six or seven, I was like, Oh, this is actually really good, and I want to, like, pay attention to this now. Mm-hmm. So then I went back, and then I, like, watched it, watched it, like, with with my full attention. So I watched The Witcher twice. Um, I also watched something on Netflix that I am really conflicted about, which is the new Dracula miniseries. Oh, yeah. So it's made by Mark Gaddis and Stephen Moffat, who did Sherlock. Mm-hmm. Which I liked originally, but have since maybe soured on. Um, I think the longer that show went on, the more you kind of realized that it wasn't what you thought it was. And like, oh, I thought this was clever. But now I realize they're just they just have figured out a way to look clever. Mm-hmm. And like once you once you notice once you see the magic trick, it's no longer interesting. But um, but anyway, so they've produced this new miniseries, which is Got like some weird simultaneous release on BBC and Netflix. I don't know. But it's I think it's three episodes, but they're each like maybe 90 minutes each. And I watched the first one because usually I'm down for just about any Dracula related thing. I will I will um, I have a similar relationship with Dracula and, and like new Taco Bell menu items like a new Dracula thing. I will try it once. And like, let's all right, for sure. Fine. Whatever. Great. Um, But this one, I don't know if I like it. It's um, so it kind of starts off in like a, you know, pretty traditional starting place with like right down the line of like the original Bram Stoker's Dracula and not not only the source material, but also like the 
um, Francis Ford Coppola movie, the Gary Oldman Dracula, like it, it kind of uses that as the starting point. And it's like, OK, mm. all right. But you can see that they're going to diverge at some point from the plot line. And as they kind of build to the the twist where they diverge, you know, there's a little bit of like um, it does the thing where and, and again, they did this a lot in Sherlock where they try to hide the fact like that it's a they try to insert mystery into a non mystery thing by the there's kind of the framing device of a character explaining the past events Mm. Like, so you've got the Jonathan Harker character, who's the, you know, the everyman who, you know, kind of is our intro to the story. He's explaining to a nun how he escaped from Dracula's castle. And it's kind of like, you're like, all right, I guess. And I guess this is how you build to a like, oh, how did they do it? How did he get out kind of conclusion? But I don't know. It just gets kind of some of the artificiality comes in. It's that thing where we've talked about it with other shows where like, why are you keeping this part a secret? Why are you, you know, um, why are you keeping this part of your story a secret? Why are you saving this bit, the most crucial bit of information for the end of your conversation, you know? Yeah. Um, but I don't know. But the, but one of the things I didn't I'm I didn't quite like, but then I'm like, I don't know, maybe it's kind of neat, is when we first meet Dracula, he's this old, decrepit, like very Transylvanian Count Dracula, much like the when we first meet him in the uh, Gary Oldman movie. And then as he starts to like feed on blood, he becomes younger. And they do a pretty good job of like this reverse aging makeup. Some of it's pretty cheesy, but the twist they're doing, one of them is, and this is not a spoiler because you kind of would get it just watching the trailer, but like the Dracula we end up with is British. And the twist is, oh, it's because he's been feeding on a British person. So he's getting some kind of like latent personality traits from that. Hmm. And I'm like, okay, I guess that you want to <laughs> have like a very British Count Dracula. And, but it's also like, ah, but now this doesn't feel like Dracula though. Now this mm -hmm. feels like, what if Jack the Ripper was a vampire? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It just doesn't, so I'm not sure where, where I land on it. And also like one of the very first things, like the way they try to be like, ooh, this isn't your, this isn't your dad's Dracula show is, again, there's this framing device of, you know, not kind of an interrogation, kind of a debrief between Jonathan Harker and this nun. One of the first questions is, did you have sexual intercourse with Count Dracula? And I'm like, OK, I get it. But it also just feels like I'm like, that doesn't feel very Dracula-y because it's it still takes place in like the 1800s. And you're like, that doesn't feel like it just feels like, a ooh, get we're doing Dracula, but we're we're making we're putting some more sex stuff in it. But then they like completely abandon that later on. And I'm like, oh, I thought we were going to like maybe play with like latent homophobia of the period. And nope, nope, nope. You just did that before the first commercial, you know, the first kind of act break just to keep me watching. So I don't know. I'm probably going to keep watching it. Interesting. I did not pay attention to this, but I've heard a little some rumblings online about it. Uh, do you like your vampires? I I like. Well, normally, you know, you know uh, Ten years ago, I would have said I would have agreed to that statement. But in a post Twilight world, I'm going to say I do like my Draculas. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, did I ever tell you that there's there's one episode of Buffy with Dracula in it? I I'm I'm amazed they showed the restraint to stick to just one. It's probably one of the weirdest episodes of like Buffy and like TV out there. It's it's very strange because like it's the 
I think it's the first episode of a season. Like, you know, they, they had like, you know, like wrapped up a storyline in the last season. They open up and you're like, oh, OK, Dracula's going to be the big bad this season. And it's just like, nah, <laughs> he's just like some fucking weirdo. Like they just make him like super, super Dracula, like bleh, like and <laughs> you basically pick up that one of the characters was like staying like he would like went. They're like, oh, Xander's missing. Like he's been gone forever. And it comes to that. He was kind of like his paramour for a little bit and like hung out with Dracula. And then Dracula just shows up and Buffy's like, I'm going to kill you. And he's like, you couldn't even touch me. And it just like goes away and never comes back. I was just like, OK, it's <laughs> just like, what the nice. fuck was that? <laughs> and then the next episode is like, OK, now the actual storyline for this season is going to start up. It's just like the weirdest thing. But very strange i mean i don't mind it when some kind of like modern set vampire fiction wants to bring dracula in in some way but you need to have an explanation for why if you're if your modern thing is set in the 2010s like what dracula the presumably most powerful vampire number one how he survived the events of the novel but then also like the fuck has he been up to for the intervening 120 years you know because they also try to be like oh he's the king of all vampires but also our show that's set in kind of our own world like what has he been it's um it it doesn't always work this is a point where i'll shout out um the anno dracula series of novels at least the first couple because that shit goes off the rails um but the anno dracula series by kim newman um actually starts out with a pretty interesting premise of um, how history would progress. A, if Dracula had, if the events of the the book, you know, uh, Dracula had been true and Dracula didn't die at the end, but actually like starts to take over London, uh, which was kind of his plan in the in the book um, and does a pretty good job of sketching out like what that looks like and how like you know, vampirism becomes the new like social, you know, distinguishing social class and all that. And mm-hmm. then it, and then it becomes a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen style pastiche where he's bringing in all these characters from the 1800s literature. But anyway, it's pretty cool if you like Dracula stuff and have that kind of like I would like to know what Dracula might actually have been up to. Um, the books are good up until about um, when they get to the World War One period. Um and that's about when it kind of peaks and then it just goes pretty insane after that. But in the World War One, um, you know, uh, the the German army obviously has vampires and uh, Baron von Richthofen, the Red Baron, is one. And like his squadron all just turn into giant man bats with Gatling guns <laughs> strapped to their chests. And that's how like they do their like, you know, like uh, Red Baron stuff. So that's like, yeah, no, I heard you snicker, but you're like, but also you're like, eh, kind of makes sense, right? Yeah, sure. Go <laughs> like, for it. The, the aristocracy would definitely, you know, they would become vampires and um, sure. Yeah, that's that's fine. I, I'm into some World War One battles with man bats. Let's do it. <laughs> um, interesting. Uh, I'll check it out. Some, I've actually never read Dracula. Bram Stoker's Dracula. I mean, the book itself is a tough read. It, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a literary classic more than it is. You know? It is. And um, it is what's known as an uh, I'm probably going to pronounce this incorrectly, but an epistolatry novel, which is something we don't do anymore. Thank God. Um, but it was a style of novel popular during this time that's just composed of letters mm-hmm. that various characters are writing to each other, which can be a bit of a snooze. Yeah, for sure. You know, uh, uh, 
for you know 200 pages of essentially just reading a long email thread um you know like <laughs> i want actual narrative descriptions of what's happening you know yeah um, yeah i i think that like when you describe the the sort of uh, framing device of the show i think that uh name of the wind has like forever ruined that framing device for me yes so whenever it comes up i'm just like no not this fucking thing again i hate it like I mean, maybe if it's a, if it's you know that's the classic episode structure for like a a trope on a TV show where it's like you know one of our characters says like you never be what happened and then the whole episode is the recounting of it like for one episode of television I'm like okay I'll put up with it it's you know tropey and kind of a fun thing to do for one episode to break up the rhythm a little bit but like if it's a long more longer form you know longer form book or movie or or, or whole series I'm just like I just don't see what this what value does this bring us as opposed to just going through it narratively, right? Like, I just don't, I don't know. Right, because, and most of the time, it's just a way of teasing the ending. Right. And making you wait for the ending. But, it, well, it's the how I met your mother problem of, yeah. you've got the framing device of the dads telling the kids how they met their mother. But, but because the show went on for so long, it's like, oh, it took seven years to tell this story. <laughs> what? Yeah. No. Um, yeah. And also at some point, again, if there is like one, like the most important question is, how did you escape from the castle? You know, why would you let this person convey all of these ridiculous details? Mm-hmm. Like, why would you let allow them to walk you through? Be like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's all fine. I don't really care about any of that. I just need to know how you got out of the castle. Um, and then when further twists are revealed, this Framing device gets even more ridiculous. But anyway. Yeah. I just think I, I just it feels increasingly like not a value add device. No. And you know, like I said, in smaller contexts can be okay. Like sometimes heist movies kind of follow that for certain parts, but you know, just for a section it's okay. But for a whole thing, I'm just like, nah, pass. I don't think that's necessary. Um okay, cool. Uh I like I said I've been playing Witcher 3 mostly. So well as a little bit of Apex here and there. I also jumped into um you're gonna you're gonna snigger, but uh I started playing have you heard of these like auto battlers, auto chess games? I have heard of such a thing. Explain uh, them explain them for the normies out there. Do my best because it's kind of a weird it's kind of hard to explain. So because <laughs> first I have to explain Dota. Yeah, exactly. So Which a long means time first ago, I have to explain Warcraft 3. <laughs> a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Ugh. Uh, there was a game called Warcraft 3, which was a, a very typical, you know, what you call real-time strategy game where you, you know, control an army and fight, more or less. I never played it. It wasn't, wasn't my thing. But as part of that, there was a mod called Defense. You know, there was a big mod community surrounding Warcraft 3. There was a mod called Defense of the Ancients, which was, uh, long story short, if you know anything about video games, turned into, you know, the most popular game in the world, more or less, is League of Legends. And that's that style of game, what people call a MOBA, you know multiplayer online battle arena or whatever where you control one hero and it's still top down but you only control one guy and it's more objective based and you know these kind of things uh more team based usually it's a 5v5 situation i played a lot of league of legends back in the day that was like my game in college and then post-college um but i stopped playing because like it requires just like a lot of time and effort to keep up with that stuff still still like it you know i, I just didn't have the and a lot of my friends dropped off and it's not as much fun playing by yourself. So, uh, but I thought, you know, I was kind of looking for a game and we've been struggling as I've mentioned previously. So there's a nut, a mod more or less of a mod for Dota with defense of the ancients, which is now there's valve owns and has put out Dota two, which is very popular, not as popular league of legends, but still very popular. 
there was a game mode or mod created called auto chess, which is part of this broader category. People call auto battlers more or less. Um, effectively it's, it's kind of like you have like a hexagonal board and it's the same heroes that you play as in the game, like the proper Dodo or League of Legends, but it's a little more like a board game where you sort of draft your team and each character has bonuses and has certain, you know, kind of prescriptive uh, actions. And then you place them on a board and they fight. You don't control them. You place on the board and then from there they're going to do stuff to each other. And then there's, you know, the team fight tactics is the League of Legends version. It is called that because I guess it's not they can't call it auto chess because Dota already has that. Uh, it has items in that version and you can kind of make your character stronger and there's all these different synergies and I've been really into board games so I'm like oh, maybe I'll give this a try that wasn't a very, the, the best explanation it's kind of a weird game to describe without playing it a little bit even I was just like I'm not really sure what the point of this is the first couple times I've kind of gotten into it I don't think it has staying power really because it starts to feel a little samey after a while but the concept is is interesting and I can see why people find it compelling the games take a while though because like you're in a lobby of eight people and you kind of play everyone like twice so you know you might be I and mean, if you like last till the end because you like, lose points if you win or lose throughout the game if you last to the end that game might take like 35 40 minutes and it's like that's it's kind of why I stopped playing League of Legends because the games were long and variable so uh yeah um I mean, I'm happy for you that you found something that's bringing you joy, but that is an entire world of gaming that I will never understand. And I have completely old man, old manned out of I'm like, nope, nope, just that. I, I, that thing has evolved too far that I could ever be a part of it. I did a out of like because it's all part of the same client. You know, the team fight tactics is is part of uh, the League of Legends client. And you have to install the because it's basically a mod of the base game. And I was like, you know what? It's been five years. Let's just just jump in a game and see what happens. <laughs> uh, and it was it was actually a really weird experience because like, I mean, when I say this was a game, like I played the shit out of this game. Like that's just like my my gaming style is like I play one game for one to five years. And then I find the next game that I play for one to five years. That's just like my gaming style more or less and so i played a lot of that like i we had a team and we would have practices and we like compete in some tournaments like the whole thing and really enjoyed that aspect of it and i did play heroes of the storm which is the blizzard version of mobas you know blizzard version of legends which is a little a little faster a little less like competitive and just like a little bit more fun you know a little more approachable uh not quite as like ragey and metagame you know you got to know every little detail and what every pro is doing any given minute you know because it changes that rapidly but so i have some of that muscle memory still but i hopped in the game and i was like just doing a chat i was like listen dudes like i used to be pretty good at this game it's been five years like i, I don't have to tell you like just be patient you know they didn't change that much but and i gotta say i did i did pretty good so good that one of the guys on my team accused me of smurfing smurfing is where if you have a high level account you make a low level account separately and then for a little bit, you get to crush a lot of low level people because you're better than them. It's, it's shitty. But uh, and I was like, I'm not smurfing, dude. I just like I, I just haven't played this game in a long time. So <laughs> there's usually matchmaking things that keep track of how good you are. And over time, those things decay, you know, behind the scenes. You have some mathematical number associated with your your goodness and your skill level. And mine was probably like zero because I haven't played in five years. So uh, 
yeah, it was weird, but I'm not sure. Miss 13, it's kind of, it's one of those games I might just like play around here or there and just like see what happens. Mm-hmm. I won a couple games, so that feels good. It feels good to win. Um, but yeah, so I tried something new. Yeah. Um, and like I say, I'm, I'm happy for you. <laughs> I mean, but right now I, I, I'm more interested in playing Witcher 3. Like a couple of nights this week, I was like, oh, I got some time for some games. Maybe I'll play some teams. No, I'm just going to go like hack up some monsters. Yeah, I got back into um, I got back into The Witcher as well. Um, hey, you and everybody else, they have more concurrent players on Steam right now than they did at launch of that game. Yes, uh, which I think is awesome. Um, but I got back into it. It was one of those games that I was I was always feeling like, yeah, I just feel like when this thing comes up for sale, you know, at the right price, and I feel like I've just got a gap. But like, I I do want to get more into this game. I bounced off of it because I think I just got a little bit overwhelmed with like the inventory system. But then they fixed all that. But you know, so I kind of started getting hype on The Witcher when the trailers started you know, coming out. We were getting close to like the release of the series, and I was like, yeah, I feel like I want to play some Witcher. So I did. And it's a really good game. So, I mean, I'm not surprised that a bunch of people kind of the same thing where the show made them want to play the game. And then I think either coming back to the game or coming to the game for the first time now, where the game, I think, is in a much more user friendly state than it was at launch. Um, And you've had so much word of mouth develop around it. And um, I think it's fascinating that the game, like, again, more concurrent users now than when it launched, like what? Yeah, it's three bizarre. years ago. Came out, what? Yeah, three or four years ago, something like that. Um, yeah, but it, it, it's it's just it's really good, and it's um, and some of that is due to you know what I've learned from watching the show because I'm not familiar with the books. Um, but just I think the quality of world building in you know of of that Witcher world, I think it's it it's so well developed in the way that it is a world that has magic and monsters but still feels very much like a world that you could see yourself living in. It still feels close to our own world. And I think some of that just comes from how human the the characters are and how, you know, um, down to earth the characters are and their motivations and their struggles, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that I struggle with the world building a little bit at first because starting with The Witcher 3, like... They kind of, I mean, it's completely, completely fine to play and have fun in the game, but some of the more, like some of the lore and the context here, like they kind of expected you to have some memory of like Witcher one or two. Uh, and you meet a lot of characters where they're just like, remember that time we did blah, blah, blah. And you're yeah. like, nope, <laughs> I don't remember that at all. Cause I didn't do it. Uh, so that's, you know, that was a little bit tough for me at first, but I think that you, know, you obviously pass that and then you start to get into it. And like I said, now with the show, I think there's a lot of. And, and there was an announcement pretty recently that the author, who I'm not even going to try and pronounce his name, um, some long Polish name with a lot of consonants in it, uh, him and CD Projekt Red, which is the company that makes Witcher 3 and the soon due out Cyberpunk, uh, they've con- you know agreed to a continued relationship. So that means we'll probably get another Witcher game at some point in, in the future or something related to the Witcher. So Yeah, I think that'll be interesting because I, I feel like all of my understanding with The Witcher 3 was that it, it's pretty conclusively the end of Geralt's story. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's a game that has multiple endings and sure. stuff, so depending on what you choose, I don't know what's sort of... And I was a little misunderstanding. I don't know how it all ends up, but I guess, like, I thought the books and the games were pretty separate, but by my understanding, they're actually not, like... So I don't know if there is more to be told or there isn't. I haven't... I didn't want to, like... 
I was kind of trying to avoid spoilers for the show, so I didn't dive too deep into like yeah. other things yeah. yet. But well, but I think there's always opportunities because I think that the the general consensus of, is that The Witcher one and two are pretty flawed games. Yeah, for sure. And but I think there's a lot of opportunity to revisit the story that was told in The Witcher one and two with the modern game design. Yeah, I mean, I think that's going to be. And I want to talk about this a little more because a game I have also been not I have not been playing, but I've been participating in playing uh, and a trend. I think I want to talk about instead of doing we can talk a little bit if we have some some best ofs of the year, but more like trends. I'm trends that 2019 started that I think we're going to see continued into the next year or two or further. And I think one of those trends is remakes of games. Mm-hmm. Just as not that that's ever been like a thing that hasn't existed, but with the remake of Final Fantasy seven and the remake of I think there's like a Zelda game that got remade. And then the one that I want to talk about a little bit is the remake of Resident Evil two. Yeah, me too. Um, good. Um, I think that's going to be there's a lot of room for that. I mean, people have kind of taken stabs at like making like remaking Oblivion. Elder Scrolls Oblivion or, or the or Morrowind like with the Skyrim engine, mm-hmm. you know, in modded versions and stuff. But I think there's going to be a real opportunity for some game developers to say, you know what, let's just take Knights of the Republic and just like make it modern, you know, like clean up some things and just like do it. Because I try to play that's a good I try to play that game. I bought it on Steam for like 25 cents and I was like, sure, I'll give it a go. I was like, I can't play this. Yes. Game. Like, so I think that's something we're going to see more of. And Along those lines, so you you have you been playing or did you play Resident Evil 2? Yeah, uh, so I heard this was on a lot of, um, you know, game critics who I, you know, who, who I kind of, I like and who I feel like, you know, their recommendations are usually good for me. Um, they were talking about the Resident Evil 2 remake. And I guess I'd known that this thing came out because it came out pretty early in the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I'd known that it had come out, but I always just assumed I was like, Oh, I'm sure it's just like any of these other, you know, remasters where it's just like, yeah, they probably brushed up the graphics and the sound, but it's still that game. And I'm like, I don't want to play that again. Yeah. Like, I remember being frustrated playing it in 1998. (laughs) I mean, I have a lot of fond memories of Resident Evil 2 in 1998, but I also remember it not being the most fun game to play. (laughs) Yeah. For those unfamiliar, the Resident Evil series is a, you know. We've probably seen something about the movies, if, if nothing else, but it's a zombie survival horror game that, you know, came out, uh, kind of kicked off the craze of those style games in the mid to late 90s on the PlayStation. And the Resident Evil games in particular are known for their horrific control scheme. Yeah. Uh, however, I will say um, to double bit my past, um, I grew up in a neighborhood where my friends live very nearby and we basically hung out pretty much all day, every day, forever. And one of our major pastimes was playing the Resident Evil games. And by playing, I mean, they're single player. So one person would play and the other three, two or three people would just sit and watch because that's what you did Mm -hmm. in the 90s. Yep. Also, I refuse to play because I'm a fucking scaredy cat and could not play a game like that. Um, Oh, now it's kind of laughable how like goofy it is. But back then it was scary and I would just help with the puzzles and stuff. So uh, we played I mean, we as a collective played a lot of Resident Evil Um, and we also played um, there was a a remake of the first game for GameCube Mm -hmm. that we played and and like was once again, like I thought the same thing. But even back then, it was like this is probably early 2000s. Oh, they're just going to like brush up the graphics. And but it was like it was they really remade the game and they added a bunch of stuff and made it very scary. And 
that's why I was like, oh, this RE2 thing could could work out. And we've only played a little. My friend picked it up. It was on sale. We, we played a little bit the other day. We, he was using like a Steam controller, which is not great because the controller scheme still isn't good. But uh, I'm going to bring over my Xbox controller for him to to use. But um, so we're going to do that actually tomorrow. But um, what are your thoughts on the game? Because our thoughts is, I mean, these games have always been difficult, but like, holy shit, this game is hard. Oh, I didn't. I didn't think so. Mm, no. Um, but- I just thought it was crazy. Like the zombies just don't die like you well just yeah fucking... but that was always resident evil like it's not they've never been in it's never been i mean if you're trying to play like resident evil 4 which really did have a lot more action elements um but it's still a game where if you try to kill every zombie you're gonna run out of bullets real quick um it's um so i i mean i did find it challenging but i found it challenging in the way that it's supposed to be and generally like if you're getting killed a lot that means you have you overcommitted on resources. You know, you were uh-huh. playing, you were not playing conservatively enough. Um, I'm nearing the final chapters of the Leon playthrough. Um, but what I really like about the game is I do think they did a great job of updating the gameplay style to be kind of the best of both worlds between the Resident Evil 4 and 5, which were much more actiony, and then Resident Evils 1 through 3, which were much more survival-y. Mm-hmm. Um, and the shooting, like, it feels like you can shoot when you have to, but it's still a little bit of that methodical, like, Resident Evil 4 style shooting where, like, it just takes a while to line up the shots and mean and the zombies are closing in. Um, but so I really like that. And I think that technically, like, it's really well presented um, while still having a very 90s throwback feel, mm-hmm. which I, I like. Um, but one of the things I love is how they are not at all shying away from how fucking bonkers <laughs> Resident Evil <laughs> two was and how like absurd so many of the things that happened were um like it doesn't it, it makes no attempt to apologize f- for its own like weirdness do you know what yeah. i mean yeah. because i really liked resident evil 7 which was like this huge reinvention of the franchise like really going into like horror horror style yeah. of stuff and i really liked that other like the first person one yes right? yeah um i mean i love that that was an incredible game but also this, like, it does not make any attempt to do that. It's just like, nope, this is Resident Evil 2, and it is bonkers. Yes, Ada Wong shows up in the middle in a trench coat, and I'm like, oh, yeah, when she, like, it's not, she's not going to, like, take take it off and be wearing the red stripper dress, right? And then, like, go have gunfights in a stripper dress, right? We're not, I mean, we're not, oh, no, we're doing it good job resident evil like just you do you yeah or like they're not gonna have like you know uh an upgraded version of the tyrant from the first game walk around in a trench coat and a hat chasing you and it's like nope there he is <laughs> yep <laughs> yep they did it they're just leaning into how dumb all of this is yeah. um but it's still really good and even though it's so dumb like it does it manages to scare you and does a really great job of like pacing out um and really good survival horror games or even uh, Souls-like games do this where they pace themselves in such a way where you go through these kind of ebbs and flows of where you're feeling really, really vulnerable. And then when you're feeling really, really empowered, like you get to this point where you've 
cleared out most of the level and you've just got a ton of ammo and healing items. You're just running around and wrapping up this last puzzle and you're feeling really great. And then and then you go through a room and then all of a sudden, like five minutes later, you're back to this thing. where just like limping along because you've got one bullet and no health and you just have to find this key. Um, and it it. it it takes you through the game in that way. Even in these environments, we have to do so much backtracking because it's not like a linear Mm -hmm. progression. Like you just like, you have to go through this police station and, you know, unlock more of it as you go and backtrack. And now you can get to this room and that side of this. And, um, but even so they managed to like maintain that ebb and flow of like empowerment and vulnerability. It's just so well done, but still also just like being an excellent, like 1998 nostalgia trip. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's I think it's and like we're really excited for RE3 because that was the game we probably played the most of mm-hmm. um, just because Nemesis was like is a little more, you know, leaning towards the more actiony side for sure. And like obviously had, you know, the best graphics and stuff from those three games. And, and we played a lot of that, probably just the age bracket as well mm-hmm. for us. Uh, but just like it is the weirdest fucking shit sometimes. And we're playing through on um Claire. Mm-hmm. Claire, I always get the women's names from Jill's in the first one, Claire's in the second one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm curious what they're going to do when they like, okay, so we did RE2, we did RE3. Are they going to like, like what's the next step? Are they going to, they're obviously not going to remake four, but, or like any other ones, but are they going to like, let's make a new game in this style. Like that'd be kind of interesting. Like would people buy it? I don't know. Like, and then, yeah. Cause then you get into this situation where like, cause I'm kind of waiting for resident evil eight to be like a continuation of, the style of resident evil seven i want both you know what i mean <laughs> like, yeah i want yeah. goofy silly wacky 90s resident evil and like terrifying i have to put this down and walk away from it because like i'm literally having an anxiety attack resident evil seven <laughs> i want definitely both. don't want that <laughs> so yeah so like yeah what do they do if they like when they run out of remake because i don't know i mean is four worth modernizing? Maybe. Is I don't think. I mean, it's five? it's pretty modern. Like, uh, I mean, the problems with five weren't necessarily the game. Uh, I don't know. I don't know where they go from here, but um, I'm really happy just um with this, and then with I, I you know, I'm I'll be on board for three. Um, this was yeah, I was I'm just really happy with it. It's like it's on a lot of best of lists, and you know kind of thing so what's your thoughts on the overall about like this like trend towards if it is it going to be a trend of like remaking games i'm actually i i'm on board because i think there's because it's different than remaking a movie right Mm -hmm. i feel like there's this idea with remaking games of just like look we know that this thing had a lot of problems just because of technological restraints or, uh, you know, it was still pretty early in the whole 3D gaming scene and a lot of control schemes were getting tried and we hadn't really figured out the right one yet. And so this one got a bad one. Yeah, the camera was messed up. and Right, because nobody had really figured out, you know, how to do it right. So here we are. Um, But what if we just took everything else that was great about this game, but just fixed those problems um, but basically left everything else the way it was, you can kind of leave things the way they were much more with games than you can with movies. Because if you're going to remake uh, Gone with the Wind, you can't just replace one actor. You know what I mean? Yeah. You got to make everything from the ground up. Exactly. And with video games, I mean, I don't know how much you're making from the ground up, but you have much more liberty to 
leave a lot of things the way they were. Like if you wanted to remake, which I would love to see happen, Metal Gear Solid, just I just want to remake this with modern controls and modern graphics. But you you wouldn't have you could leave all of the voice acting the same because the voice acting in that game is so iconic to what it was. And the music is so iconic. You can use all of that, um, but just, you know, update it. And I think that and another difference with movies is that I can go and I can watch a movie from 1965 and enjoy it. Right. There's no there's no technological limitations that are preventing me from doing it. It's not like my TV is incompatible with The Godfather, you know, Um, and generally speaking, unless you're watching something that really relies really heavily on special effects, nothing from the older eras of cinema is like unwatchable. But with video games, there's a lot of things where it's just like unless somebody remakes this, I can't play it. You know what I mean? Like, right. Because there's I don't have a box that it that will that will play it or there are other elements that just like the controls are so bad that it's just it's just now it's a it's a chore to play. Right. Or so tedious or so grindy, like all these different things like, you know, whether it's inventory management or just like. Nope, you got to just kill a thousand pigs to get the next level. Like right. these kind of things, you can you can streamline those things and just leave the good parts. I think, like you said, like you, you know, you made good points about RE2. Like the key is to you know maintain what was good and nostal and like bring in leave in some of that nostalgia factor, and then bring in the modern stuff that can help make it fun to play and easy to play. Uh, clean up some some time consuming things or some some frust- like needlessly frustrating right. things. Um. Yeah, I'm I'm all about it. And I think that it's on one hand, there's this idea of like, I hate movie remakes so much because I feel like in most of the times it's like there's nothing that you need to fix. Don't do it. The old one is fine. But with games, I don't know. There's just it feels more like you're just like we're just refining on this. You know, we're yeah. just it, 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 it's it's like a it's like hearing a live version of a song that was recorded in 2016. But the songs from like 1988, it's like. Yeah, sometimes it's just interesting to see how the band has, like, maybe refined it and, you know, like... Yeah. It doesn't feel like a remake. It just feels like we've refined this thing. And I feel like video games is an art form where you can just refine it as as it goes. And there's so much good old stuff that, you know, I'm sure a lot of people would like to experience either for the first time or I would like to experience again, just in a, you know, in a modern context. Mm-hmm. Um can you think of uh well if you could pick a game or two, you know, that you would want to see remade that would be a good candidate, what do you think you would pick? I would love to see the first three Metal Gear games remade in the Metal Gear 5 engine, because I think that the Metal Gear 5 engine is like this towering accomplishment, but the Metal Gear 5 game itself, the story is dog shit. And I feel <laughs> that the um Is that the one where you put balloons on guys and they float up in the air? Uh we've been putting balloons on guys for a while. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> um that actually is based on on real vietnam era military hardware um oh, good it was a a method for um extracting um personnel where essentially you would inflate this balloon and the balloon would um get up to a certain altitude where you could be where the balloon could be grabbed by the hook on a plane and that would basically like carry you out of the battlefield and then they'd reel you into the plane it's a real thing um seems real fucking dangerous <laughs> yeah well you know we also dropped jellied gasoline on forests at that period so <laughs> um and we're just like handing out morphine like candy so yeah fair enough um 
But no, well, uh, yeah, but anyway, but I feel like that's the sort of thing where I feel that Metal Gear 1 through 3, I mean, for me personally, you know, a lot of feelings there, but also I feel like there's just so many great moments that would be worth experiencing again with modern stuff. Um, So I would love to see like actual like ground up remakes, but again, leaving the voice acting. Um, um, Metal Gear... Um, but yeah, where it's actually a remake, not just a remaster. Hmm. What about you? I think that, I mean, a lot of the games I play as a kid, I was like more of a Nintendo kid. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a N64 and then a GameCube um, and then a Wii. I, I really think that like, like Mario 64, I think you made that using like a modern Mario engine, like whatever they used to make Odyssey or Galaxy or whatever, mm-hmm. like be a lot, a lot of fun to play that game because that game was just so groundbreaking at the time. But now you go back and play and it's like, mm, this is a little clunky. Yeah. Or similarly, like a Banjo-Kazooie. Like, I really liked that game a lot when I was a kid. That would be fun to, like, let's say more than just a remaster to actually remake into, like, a modern platformer. Mm-hmm. Not that I play a lot of platformers anymore because I find them very frustrating as an adult. But uh, I find everything in games frustrating because I'm an asshole, I guess. I think what else? Yeah. Probably be it for I mean, me. I mean, I, I don't have, like, a lot of, you know... I was much more into the social aspect of games when I was a kid, I think, more than I even played by myself. But I would like to see Demon's Souls, which is technically the first game in the Dark Souls kind of lineage. Um, It was originally a PlayStation 3 exclusive, but I would like to see that game kind of rebuilt with everything that the like Souls lineage of games has learned since then. Like build those lessons back in to make the game a little bit more playable and a little bit more enjoyable. Um, but I would like to I would like to like experience that game because it I never got a chance to. But also knowing how far the series has come, I'm like, I don't want to try their first draft at this idea. Like, I don't want right. to play it. I want it as is, you know, I, I want to play a fixed version of it. I think that if you could one one game style that has sort of disappeared is, is like flight sims. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not really a thing anymore. But if you, if you could make, like, a find a good flight sim engine, and people are clamoring for it, but, like, go back and remake some of those original Star Wars, like, flight sim games, like X-Wing or TIE Fighter, mm-hmm. like, those are pretty fun as a kid, and I think if you just, like, gave a modern f- flight sim engine to those and, you know, beat up the story a little bit, like, you have some pretty fun games, and then probably ride that into, like, more Star Wars flight sims, uh... Or other sci-fi flight sims because I just think that it's like a like I said for a long time. I remember when that like Microsoft Flight Simulator like ten came out like fucking fifteen years ago. Hmm. I feel like that's like the last flight sim that came out that anyone wanted to play, and they just modded the shit out of that for years. But I haven't really heard anything like recent that's been in that in that vein. Uh, I'm sure there is something in that in a smaller community like that. But some of those would probably be pretty cool. Uh, I feel like other you know, other games have. There's games that you really liked when you were a kid, but, like, don't really need to be remade because they've already, like, like you know, I play a lot of Smash Bros. as a kid. It's like, well, that's already been effectively remade, right. you know, over and over again to keep iterating on it. So that doesn't need to get touched. But, yeah, interesting idea. I mean, I have to think a little more about if anything else comes up. But definitely seems like a, a good way for game companies to, like, you know, capitalize on their IPs without continuing to just, like, wring them dry. Yeah, And I think one of the things I also like about these kind of remakes is I'm developing an appreciation for self-contained, single-player, complete experiences Mm -hmm. where there's no, like, ongoing live service 
commitment. And yep, make sure you log in every day so that you can keep up with your clan's quests. Um, and, you know, things that are going to keep me buying, like, you know, grinding out currencies and stuff. But like Resident Evil 2, it's like you play this game and that's it. There's no online connection. There's no DLC coming. There's no it's just it is what it is. Right. And a lot of these remakes, because they're going to be remaking stuff that existed before all that bullshit, like they're going to be that self-contained thing. It's just like, nope, here we are. We're doing this. Um, so I like that, but I also think that that gives them, there's a certain, I think the economics of it are helpful because theoretically a remake, even if it's a ground up remake like Resident Evil 2 is cheaper than a brand new IP, right? Yeah. Cause you've got all these resources at your fingertips. Yes. Um, so much of the work is already done. So, and because the, the cost is lower, the investment is lower then the publisher doesn't ex- doesn't need to see such big returns, which means they're going to be less likely to be like, yeah, but can you tack on a premium currency to buy cosmetic upgrades, you know, mm-hmm. um, so that this thing can can recoup its cost. The cost is lower, so, you, so it can be just a, we're just going to make a good game and sell a lot of copies of that game and make money that way. Um, and I, like, I prefer games like that, you know, nine times out of ten. Um Unless it is a like, oh, this was designed from the ground up to be competitive, like, say, Eternal. Like, yeah, I'm fine with that game being a live game because it's competitive. But there's so many games that are not necessarily that, but then somehow become these ongoing live things. But I like that these remakes, you know, and again, if we go and remake Witcher 1 and 2, like The Witcher itself, yeah, it had some DLC and expansions, but not... But th- but those are also like one time purchases, not right. send us thirty dollars every month so that you can buy the battle pass, which does. I don't know. I don't know how these things work. I just know you send the money every month and that's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's, it's it'd be cool. I would definitely I would definitely play games like especially some of those like more clunkier RPG games that were just like ah, it's just like so much work to do, go through and slow and like, yeah, you know. You, you just rebuilt Witcher 1 and 2 in, in the Witcher 3 engine. Like, people would buy that and people would play the shit out of it, I'm sure. Absolutely. So, cool. Uh, I wanted to ask, I want to just touch briefly on, on like, music because we haven't talked about that in a while. And I wanted, you know, there's a lot of best of lists and stuff. I've been kind of sorting through some stuff. But I want to know if anything this year stuck out to you, if there's any any trends you're seeing with music. Oof, I don't know, trends. I don't think I have a, I don't have a broad enough view to say what, a, to, to, you know, to see trends. But I can talk about a couple things that I actually started to build a list of things that came out this year that I really liked. Um, so the first one I want to talk about, and I think I showed these dudes to you before because they are kind of an intersection of our tastes. Um, and these are one of these, they're one of those bands where I'm like, I should not like this. This is not really uh, on my list, but the band is called Atlas Pain and the album is called Tales of the Pathfinder. Um, and it's just this really goofy blend of like kind of symphonic power metal with like, but like with black metal vocals, but And this is the part that I think got me because I just thought it was so, like, audacious. (laughs) And I like audacity in music. Um, But, like, it's like a black metal lead vocal, but all the backing vocals are still, like, very boisterous, like, um, 
power metal choirs <laughs> um which okay. is just insane to me um but uh but it's it's got this kind of very major key. It's not quite pirate metal, but these guys probably tour with pirate metal bands. Yeah. Um and it's got I've actually ki- checked them out. I'm, I'll have to look into that then. It's got this kind of like age of exploration kind of feel to it. Um but the songs are just catchy as hell and um again, like there's just something so ridiculously audacious about the vocal delivery that um yeah, I just I just keep finding I find myself just like I just keep coming back to that record over and over again. And I'm like, I love it. It makes me happy. Um, it's dumb, but I love it. <laughs> cool. Cool. Um, I wanted to ask, you know, I, I, I frequent the the blog Angry Metal Guy mm-hmm. and I poured through their lists. Mm-hmm. I've just been going kind of and just like because they do each, each of the writers has a list. They do an aggregate list. Have you checked out this funeral fuck band? I listened to them today. Um it's uh, it's not what I expected, but it's pretty good. I don't know if I'd say it's the best album of the year, but it's pretty good. Yeah, it's for those. This is like the most the worst name in the fucking world. Like, I don't know why. Like it's their their band name is Funeral Fuck, but the user V is because metal. Yeah. And like and fuck is but spelled with two K's and no C's. Yes. Uh, fine. Uh, but but it's, it's like it sounds goofy. Like that's a very goofy name. But like. The shit they sing about is like real fucking serious because the, the album that came out this year is about the Catholic Church clergy abuse. Yeah. Which isn't great. <laughs> no, it's not. But it's also, I mean. If you're going to make a doom metal album. Yeah. And I don't even know. know if I'd call it doom. It's it's weird. It's kind of a, it's kind of an interesting genre blend. Um, But like, this is not the first time a metal band has taken on like catholic church sex abuse but this is written lyrically from a much less detached like metal can be kind of like fuck the church yeah um i i did that like waving middle fingers in the air and then i realized this (laughs) is an audio medium um but like this is a lot more like it it seems to come from a more like human understanding of abuse and not just like kind of a gross out like oh look at the hypocrisy you know oh, you call yourself a holy man kind of the way metal typically mm-hmm. confronts these things in just like the most bonehead way possible so that adds a lot of emotional weight to it and also the style um is a lot more kind of just sad yeah and, and it's very like to me it's very like cla- classic older style doom style yeah not quite as like harrowing maybe it's a little more people describe like epic doom it's got a little more of like a oomph behind it in that way but um i i'm not like i agree that i don't think it's like maybe album of the year but i definitely see why people like it a lot like it's got some especially if one of the albums that after a couple listens you're like okay this is really starting to like i'm really starting to feel it and get it there's some really good like riffs and sections and stuff my trend looking over the list is like if it's gonna be the the mad money meme like doom metal like so many of the top albums were fucking Doom Doom records of, of varying kinds, whether it's like Death Doom, Funeral Doom, Classic Doom, whatever. But uh, so that should make you happy. As yeah, I'm fine with it. I mean, it seems like, you know, last year it was like black metal was like the smart guy metal genre, like mm-hmm. the cool metal genre to be. And now it seems to be moving over to Doom, which, you know, fine by me. I also like Doom. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, for me, I had a couple like couple albums that mean stuck out. Some are pretty obvious. Like Spotify tells me that the Devin Townsend record Empath was far and above what hooked me the most this year. Um, still a fanboy, and after a couple listens, uh, you know, I really got into it, and I I think it's a masterpiece. I think it's awesome. Uh, I get why some people don't like it as much, but. It was just the right amount of mix of all his styles that fit in a weird but good way. And there's just some fucking killer songs on that yeah. record. Uh, a surprise. I have a couple of surprises, a couple of disappointments. So surprise is that the Dream Theater album that came out this year is probably their best record since like in like 15 years. Probably. Um, I'm not going to say it's like amazing, but still just like, oh, like there's some really good songs on this. And like they actually have a slightly better recording style and, and like it's a little heavier and just it was I did. You know, I saw them earlier this year as well. Play some of the songs. Record. I'm just like, yeah, like this record's good as opposed to probably f- six records past where it's like maybe it's like one good song on this, mm-hmm. you know. So it was weird to have a whole record that's like, yeah, all these songs like I enjoy actively and leave an impression. So that was a surprise. I had a lot of disappointments this year though, Greg. It, musically or or just musically. In general? Well, I mean in general, but like <laughs> particularly specifically musically. Okay. Um. Astronoid, I did not like. We talked about them on the show a while ago. Mm-hmm. I didn't love their their self-titled release this year. I thought they went way too far into like the shoegaze, not metal area and just lost a lot of their edge. And the mixing, which was so important to their previous records, just wasn't there for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the Cattle Decapitation album this year, and this is a band that I really like. And I liked their blend of like grind and death metal, grindcore and death metal, because it was like grindcore is a lot for those of you unaware. It is just like it is noise. I mean, there's a lot of point to it. I respect it. It's just not the genre for me. Typically, you know, one and a half minute songs with, you know, program drums and just like craziness. Fine, Mm. whatever. I get the appeal, but it's not for me. They had a really good way of incorporating some of those elements, but still making songs uh, that were that were killer. And even they started incorporating these weird people are calling them the goblin vocals, where there's lead vocalist who is awesome, uh, Travis. He he sings kind of, but they're like the weirdest fucking. Yeah, it's hard to describe. It is hard. They to sound describe, like a goblin singing. It's something. Yeah, and there's some really good songs in this record, but it feels a little just like repetitive and like they're kind of just going through the motions, which isn't great. Uh, another disappointment for me was Leprous. I know you never really got into them. Am I right in saying that? Still? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. That that that's correct. I, I I feel like for them, I just keep waiting for them to make a different kind of song, but they never do. I'm like, oh, I really these mm-hmm. guys like, oh, that's a cool ballad. I, like, I want to hear what their heavier songs are like. Oh, oh, it's all the same. Okay. Yeah, I really fell in love with their with them over the past like year or two. It took me a little while to get into it, but their record, I didn't like it at all this year. It's just like. What you just described is how I feel about it, because I just feel like they just took a lot of the edge out. It's very samey. It didn't leave an impression Um, where originally when I first listened to the the other records they put out, I even though I couldn't describe why it was interesting, I just couldn't get out of my head. And then I started to realize why it was interesting and just really got into it. But so I was just sad. A lot of bands I was really looking forward to some, some good records from and just like didn't didn't really do it for me. But and even the, the Flesh Got Apocalypse album, it's still a good record. I just think that they it's lost some of the mixing that they had on the last well, record. And King like is a tough perfect. act to follow. It is. I mean, that was a triumph. And I still think it's like some of the most interesting 
stuff in death metal right now, but uh, just to combine just the pure audacity and bombastic nature. Mm-hmm. But so that's a little disappointing to you. I still listen to it. It's, it's a good record. Um, it was funny. It was on, on angry metal guys list. He, he put it like five or six or seven, something like that. He was like, this is a huge step down from King, but like still, it's good. still <laughs> like still really good, <laughs> which can happen sometimes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm excited to continue. This is music so hard. It's just so, so much comes out yeah. and there's so much stuff out there. It's hard to, hard to keep up with it, but I mean, I decided to keep digging through it. I generally like, I haven't because I don't really like follow things to the point where I'm going to usually anticipate anybody's new stuff. So I don't really get disappointed. <laughs> it's just yeah. like, oh, I, I, like all of a sudden I'll just like see it in my Apple Music. I'm like, oh, hey, I guess they got something new. Well, all right. Um, and my expectations for everything is always low, which is very cynical of me. But I, I, I mean, most, most, I mean, what's the old saying is 80% of everything is crap. And I will add to that. And most thing and most bands just get worse over time. I mean, right. So it's generally I generally true. like for me, it's not really disappointments because I'm just like, mm, I'm not really <laughs> not really expecting anything from anyone. <laughs> um, I will well, say that's one way to live life, Greg. Jesus. What's that? As that's one way to live. Life. Yeah, but Jeez. hey, look, all. but what happens is then I don't as a result. I don't I don't feel any sadness when like a band I used to like put out a bad puts out a bad record. I'm just like, yeah, that's what, that's what they were going to do, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's, that's it's, fair. it's like so. So so all, I only get positive feels when I find something I like. Um, and one of the things I liked this year was the album Elegy by Dead to a Dying World, which sounds super uplifting. Um, but this is a weird um the album's elegy if i didn't mention that um it's it's kind of a doom metal thing it's kind of not they're one of these like we're not a band we're a collective kind of bands um the fuck does that mean I, you know what you know these it's like where i just feel like it's the hipster way of saying like we have a rotating lineup you know what i mean oh okay i don't know many bands that say that so this is this is new to me yeah well like the ocean was calling oh, themselves I guess a collective they call them for the a ocean while. Collective. Yeah. Okay. Um, but really what I think it means is, you know, it's like the nine inch nails model of like, it's mainly one guy. And then there's like maybe an inner circle of steady collaborators and then an outside circle of less steady collaborators, but whatever. It's just a thing, but it's just a, um, a really good kind of doomy atmospheric. Um, and weirdly like very, american sounding but i mean that more of like an americana sense for what that's Mm. worth as opposed to just like oh like american metal that like like thrash right no more like there's a a sense of you know like colorado to it i don't know i don't know what that means (laughs) but it's really good um um and it's a really good you know it does the things you want like a doom a doomy kind of thing to do even though it's not always standard doom but like having that ebb and flow and that you know um taking you on a slow emotional build through songs um and it opens with a kind of um almost like country hymn it's it's tough to describe but it's a really excellent introduction to a crushing doom metal album Interesting. I'll check that out then. Yeah, Dead to a Dying World. <laughs> Again, I, great. I've seen it mentioned a few places. Yeah. So. Um, and I will also mention a album that came out in January of 2019 that I didn't get hip to until um, 
like the last two days of 2019. <laughs> so I feel bad, but I feel like you've probably been listening to this all year. Um, it's uh, the um, uh, the swallow the sun when a shadow is forced into the light. Yes, I listened to it a lot when it came out. I kind of fell off of it a little bit, but um, yeah, it's it's a lot. It's really good. Yeah, swallow the sun is a band that I I try to really not let like not have that attitude you have when it's like you get you really like you know, get a record that you really like and then nothing can ever top it I'm not saying that, that attitude but like nostalgia can play a big factor yeah. and i try and give like the benefit of the doubt that like i need to listen to this record at least 20 times before I'm, i can compare it to a record that i listened to before um and swallow the sun's new moon is like to me like if a band is looking to make death doom like that is the record to to mimic uh and that came out like when i was in college I remember there's this is is very personal, but one time I was like, I had a really just a really, really bad day towards the end of college with like some stuff with like my career and like my life path. I remember just like sitting in the car crying with that album on. And I was just like, yep, this is this is what do metal is all about. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And yeah, this album is particularly brutal because do you know a little bit of the context? Yeah, it it, um, one of the principal songwriters uh, is is. His wife died, right? Yeah. She's also a male musician who is often the female vocals on the Swallow Sun album. So she has her own band, which also brought out an album posthumously this year that's also very good. Uh, It's kind of the same. One of those things where, like, they work together on the Swallow the Sun and then they work together on this. So it's kind of just Swallow the Sun, but with female vocals. But, you know, it's it's good. Uh, But, yeah, she died and he was very sad. Sure. (laughs) And you can feel it in some of the songs on that record, I think, for sure. But you, you're digging it? Yeah. I I, um, I never really investigated this band before this. Um, but uh, dang, dang. Um, it is it is very, very good. Um, and I don't know if if it's just me being like a little bit more um, open to flirting with gothier stuff. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. Um, but this this was really scratching that itch um and even the vocals on the funeral fuck album have a really kind of gothic yeah um you know like bauhaus gothic kind of feel to them which i like i will say that swallow the sun you know for me it was like that was my first introduction to anything doom related even though it's like very much death doom um I thought that was doom metal until I realized, like, started listening to some older death. I'm like, wait a second. These guys aren't screaming. What the heck? <laughs> um, and I've seen them twice. And both times I was just like, it's hard to put into words the concert experience with them because they're not they're not goth in like the overwrought dramatic way. They just like they're just like very simple. They just come out and they play their songs and they don't talk like they don't really like engage. They just like you just feel the raw like sadness. <laughs> from them the entire fucking time and uh it was the first time i saw them was weird context because i saw them with i think it was them um and orphan land hmm. and like another band it was like the weirdest like mix we were like jumping and dancing and like you know doing weird stuff for orphan land and it's just like now it's time to get real fucking sad yeah. <laughs> so uh i highly recommend them to to people who are into that kind of thing because i think all their records are really good in different ways. I think that my problem with the past three is that past two or three, including this one, maybe is that like, there's a lot of open space mm-hmm. in it. And some of that's good. Like, I like that. I, I get that, but it also just get a little boring sometimes. Yeah. 
but it depends on how it works into the general flow. Like their one album that was three albums, that had a lot of open space in it. And I was just like, okay, like, can we just cut this to two albums maybe and cut <laughs> some of the meandering? But um, I, I, I love that band. So I'm glad that you're, I definitely men- recommend checking out some of their back catalog. It's a little more straightforward, but uh, you know, in comparison, like their, their classic song is called Swallow and it's just so fucking heavy. Yeah, no, they're definitely a band I'm going to spend a little bit more time with. Cool. Um, to move on from music, if you're if you're good. Let's, yes. I wanted to just briefly chat about books. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to just check in with you on where you're at with a little hatred. Um, I'm in the home stretch. Oh, yeah. Um, we are we are having a duel in the circle. That's where I left off. Ah, OK. Um, I'm enjoying it. I I got to about this point and I was like, when are we going to like get going? Yeah. Um, and then I realized I'm like, oh, shit, there's only like a quarter of a book left. So I don't know what I was expecting, but I think I was expecting a little bit more of starting to build into some grander narrative. And maybe we'll get there in the last bit. But I feel like by this point in um, the first book, which, the name of which escapes me. First of all, no. That's the trilogy. Uh, Before They Were Hanged? No. No, that's the second book. The Blade Itself. Blade Itself. <laughs> um, I feel like at this point in The Blade Itself, we'd already gone on like a massive fantasy quest to find a, a you know, an artifact that had met a thousand different wizards. And, you know, I at this, this feels a little bit more like the heroes where it's just like, hey, I'm just going to like take you through a cool battle. Um, and I feel like the... Um, the military story and the labor riot story don't really seem to be connecting for me. Mm-hmm. They just seem like two different ideas. Um, and one and the military story seems a lot more developed than the uh, labor story. That's fair. I think that I think possibly I don't remember because it's been a while. But I think your memory is betraying you a little bit. I think that this book is actually very similar to Blade itself and that. We don't really get our characters together any real way until pretty close to the end. And that was my biggest complaint that I mentioned before was that I like this book a lot. Mm -hmm. It is very much the first book in a trilogy. And I think that it remains to be seen for me, at least like what the I by the end of the book, I think you'll be like, okay, I think I'd see the direction we're going. I don't know if like the path is laid out yet, but I know what direction we're going. Um, A lot a lot does happen in the last kind of of stint there as any book. But um what do you think? But what do you think? So outside of that, like, what are your thoughts on the actual stories well, themselves, I think like that, the, I mean, the characters and stuff? I think that Joe Abercrombie is really excellent in the moment to moment storytelling of, you know, following, you know, following your point of view characters, emotional journey within a scene. And um, I think he's he's so good at that. Um and I think he is he's also really great at coming up with at, at, at just inventing characters mm-hmm. like they're all awesome. And all of them, I feel like every character I'm like, I could have a whole book of this guy. Yeah. Um, he's really good at that. Um, I do feel like the overarching plot of this one just felt a little bit like it was kind of like, wait, what are we doing and why do I care? It, mm-hmm. it was kind of like, OK, so Leo is just doing some military stuff in the North, but like, I don't really understand how the stakes of this are different. 
than any of the just random battles in the north we've had so far in this series of books um, or what they're trying to accomplish. Like, what is the larger military goal here and why do mm-hmm. I care? And then in the the B plot, essentially, Savine's plot, it's more like what? Yeah, again, what is the larger motivating action here? What does you know, I kind of feel like I need to know a little bit more about the labor unrest other than just like it's some shit that happened Um, for me to like be a little bit more plugged in. You know, it's the sort of thing where if the if the breakers and the burners are kind of positioned as kind of the bad guys a little bit like I kind of need them to be motivated by something more than just like general like labor grievances because I'm I'm like, well, not on who to root for because you're kind of painting <laughs> these guys as just like kind of, you know, chaos agents. Um, but then but on the other hand, I'm supposed to sympathize with them. I'm not sure. It's just a little muddled. Um, I felt similarly. I feel like that might be purposeful, but it remains to be seen how that I think that plot develops and there's some more, you know revelations that come i'm sure i and I'm, and, and I'm sure that but we're going to find out that there are larger machinations at play and i think he's been hinting in, at in them the a series. little what are you bit talking about um so I, I i'm totally on board i i think my my overall critique at this point in the book is i just need a little bit um i need a little bit more of the so what for the action uh-huh i think it's a very fair criticism um for sure and that's how i felt about the first book or two in the original series uh if i remember correcting my feelings from back then correctly um so i'm willing to to give it its time yeah uh especially since we want to wait less than a year now so yeah uh which is good um speaking of books mm-hmm. brandon sanderson finished the first draft of stormlight 4 in a absurd last minute blitz because he wanted to finish it before the end of the year where he wrote nineteen thousand words in a day and like live tweeted it effectively which seems like kind of productive but who knows uh and he he's like he's saying that like when i finished oathbringer book three and so i'm like I, I was feeling a little bit like uneasy and maybe he's got some reasons that's true um you know that book was good but it wasn't like i don't think it's set up to the other two quite as well uh but he's like i feel awesome about this book so it should be out by the end of the year Oof. and uh you know november he said which gives him, and he he posted his state of Sanderson uh, address that he always posted at the beginning of the end of the year, beginning of the new year, whatever you want to call it. And he basically said, like, I'm doing the math on the books I'm bringing out, and his entire Cosmere sequence, you know, where he refers to his greater universe, he's like, it's going to be about, like, 35-ish books, mainline books, not including, like, novellas and short stories and that kind of stuff. And he's like, I'm at about, like, 15 He's like, and I gotta, I gotta step it up. So he's moving to a model of a lot of his other projects, which he still wants to work on for his own like sanity and you know mm-hmm. mental health. He's doing a lot of co-writing and like you know working in partnerships with people to kind of do stuff. That's more of his style. He's a very collaborative guy anyway. Uh, if you read about his writing process with all the people he has to actually go into his his books, you know he's got a continuity guy sitting next to him. He's got his maps person. Mm-hmm. He's got his you know millions of beta readers and alpha readers and stuff. So. uh because he said he's like, at my current rate, I'll be 74 when I finish the Cosmere. And, like, and that's too risky. I need to step it up and, you know, focus on stuff. So he says he's going to focus a little more on Cosmere. He said that he expects the last, so the Stormlight Archives going to be split into two five-book, you know, sequences, more or less, with both a in-universe and real-life time gap in between books five and six. Uh, and he's like, 
I'm on track to put out book five by 2023. And then he's got to do the whole other, the next Mistborn series in between Stormlight five and six, according to his, you know, grand scheme. That sounds like a lot. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So he's, he's working on it. <laughs> and I mean, that's impressive and more power to him. But I don't know if I'm going to be on board for any of the Stormlight stuff. Yeah, I know that. Um, I know. I know that that wounds you deeply, but it's okay. I just it's can't. a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. Um, he did say though that he will have the third Wax and Wayne book, the third you know in the current Mistborn trilogy. Uh, he's gonna try and get that out next year. Yeah, I, and he he wanted to get it out by now, but he he just like I, I had to work on this book, and I didn't have the mental capacity to, to focus on it. So I and I feel committed to the Mistborn. Like the the world, the story, the characters. I I like that side of his stuff, but the Stormlight stuff is just like it's almost like he's like, hey, I took everything you like from Mistborn, and then I added ninety things that you don't like. <laughs> um, and I'm like, thanks. Um, yeah, I I um, you know you know people like what they like, and I don't like Stormlight. That's fine. Um, I am in the fourth book in the, uh, Rainwild Chronicles by Robin Hobb. I realize I've been working on her for a little over a year now. It is three, six, nine, 12, 16 books. And I'm on book 12. No, book 13. So this is the last book, the fourth book in this series. Um, a little, a little shorter that she kind of did a better job of like breaking it up this time. I think into four books, I think it was a good choice. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> I I like it. It's interesting. She's really good at making you spend a lot of time with some characters and you get she's a pretty good character writer. They're not as like quirky and immediately appealing as like an Abercrombie character. Mm-hmm. But I think they're like much more like realistic and nuanced and like a more like non kind of fantasy way. And outside of the dragon perspectives, because they're a little ridiculous. But uh, it's fine. I don't really see the broader. There are some broader themes of like patriarchy and gender norms and um tradition and there's some interesting stuff going there i'm not sure it's going to pay off on it but it's there if you're looking for it it's like not the most at this point it's not the most like engaging the last book i actually the third book i actually like was probably the best of the bunch so far um we'll see how it ends up uh i'm pushing through because i kind of got that feeling here we got the book feeling when you're, you're reading a book and you're like if I stop this and do something else, I'm not going to come back probably, mm. which could be the sign of a bad book. Yeah. It could also be the sign of just like, you know, what you're t- look, thinking about right now. Cause I am enjoying it. Like when I read it, I, I do feel like interested in reading it. I've been reading it outside of just before I go to bed, which is usually the sign for me of like a book I'm interested in. Cause if I'm just reading it before I go to bed. Then that's just like the default. If I'm adding extra credit time in, that means I'm probably interested in the plot line. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just feel like it's like sometimes when you're when you're reading a tight series like this, you ever get to feel this way where like you got to break up the books, right? You can't just write one three thousand page book. Mm-hmm. But I feel like when you when you end a book and then you start the next one, you kind of feel like that first ten percent is just treading water again. Do you ever get that feeling when you're reading like a, a series? Um. So when you come back in and then you start the new book, you feel like it takes time to get to where it's going. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. I mean, I don't read as many series as you do. That's true, I guess. Uh, it could be a piece of something particular to her, too. I just kind of feel like that first 10% is like, not. it's not rehashing, but like 
they take a little extra time to refresh your memory, which is probably good because in the context, these books came out years right. apart from each other. And, you know, it makes sense to do that. But when you're binging it, it's kind of just like, ah, uh, like I kind of, you know, I don't need to refresh my memory. I just read it. And I literally just finished that last book and then hit the next button on my Kindle and started the next yeah. book. So, um, yeah, that's not, I don't think that's like a negative thing on her as a writer. I think it's just like the, what you need to do. Uh, but when you're binging, it's rough. So I think that I can confidently say I will be finished this series by and, and finish all of Robin Hobb's works, The Realm of the El- Elderlings, uh, her, you know, 16 books, probably by April, March, maybe. I got three more books to read. I've been doing about a book a month, more or less, a little less than that, maybe. Uh-huh. I'm not sure how long the next ones are, but uh, and then I, I'm trying to decide what I'm doing after that. I, I've talked about this a lot, but I restarted watching The Expanse and leaning towards sci fi because I've done it just like consistently i kept telling myself ah, i'm just gonna go back to do some sci-fi and i read like a book and i'm like all right back into like a giant fantasy series <laughs> it's like fuck me but um i do want to read the second sanderson's uh sci-fi series skyward his second book in that that series came out see ya but it's good um that'll be a quick read but i think i'm gonna try the, the expanse books because the show's pretty damn good so far and uh i just need a little bit of a little bit of sci-fi Nothing wrong with that. But you, do you got anything on the docket after a little hatred for reading? No, um, I do want to have a book, but I'm not sure what the what the next step is for me. I keep like wanting to see that China Miaville has something new, but his last book was like a nonfiction book about the um, October Revolution in Russia, and his next book. <laughs> Is gonna be a nonfiction book about the Communist Manifesto, and I'm like, "Hey, man, I'm I'm with you. I like what you're doing here, but kind of liked your stories. <laughs> so <laughs> give me some weird animal creatures. Um, so I don't know. I might actually reread uh, um, the City in the City, um, because I watched the BBC adaptation. Right. Yeah, you mentioned. Um, and that kind of made me remember, like, yeah, I really liked that one. I think I might reread that. But I don't know. I'll see what. Uh, See what inspires me when I when I run out of book. More Stormlight. No. <laughs> I really think I'm done with that. Yeah. I'm pretty tempted to just like jump in The Witcher after this or even take a break and do Witcher stuff. I'm just like, I'm so invested right now. I've been thinking but, about it. I've been thinking about trying trying out The Witcher just to see like, you know, is it a good is it a good read? They're not long. Like they're not yeah. like big tomes. They're like the three to four hundred range. So they're not like that, and they're like some of them are just short stories, I think, too. So be curious to see how, how it all kind of stacks up because you're I guess inevitably we're kind of getting like three concurrent versions. You know what I mean? We've got like games, books and TV show now. It'd be interesting to see how things play out and compare the three. I don't know. Uh, did you was there anything else that you wanted to reflect on the year, reflect on the coming year? Well, um, is there anything you're looking forward to in in 2020? Um, That's a good question. You know, within the world of fiction, because there are other things I'm looking forward to in 2020 that are nonfiction. Yeah, I, that's a that's a double edged sword there for me. It's like, well, if it goes the way I want it to go, it's I'm looking forward to. But. Oh no, it's, this is going to be an awful year. This is going to yeah. be an awful year. Even if even if we get to to a good finish line, it's going to be a fucking nightmare. Yeah. Um, I mean, the next Trevor Carmy book. It's true. The next Stormlight book. That's good stuff. They get towards the end of the year. Oh, they're going to come out like right next to each other. I'll have to keep that in mind. Um, you read like a book a week. You're fine. Yeah. You're not like me where it takes you a year to get through 100 pages. Uh, It's weird because 
I mean, I I kind of think we'll get the Wheel of Time show like towards the end of the year. Just judging by because they're like they're filming, but they should be wrapping up in the next like couple months here. Like I don't know how long production like post production takes on stuff like that, but maybe early early the following year, maybe more likely. Um, I I was one of my trends I was saying was that I think we're in a moment of like transitioning from 2019 into 2020 is like a moment of decentralization, right? Because like Game of Thrones is done, Star Wars is done forever in my heart now um mcu is done mcu is you know more or less done i mean we're getting two movies this year both of which i'll go and see but i can't say i'm like super excited for either of them i mean black widow looks better than expected but uh i'm not like oh my god can't wait to see those movies you know they're they're smaller stories in a decentralization right like we're gonna get some shows we're gonna get some 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 movies but they're all i think I think the first of the MCU shows comes out towards the end of this year, or maybe both do. Loki and Scarlet Witch. I know that the Witch and Scarlet Witch and Vision show got moved up. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think we're getting another Star Wars show this year. No. But but I think it's just a moment of just like it will be a good time to explore some other like smaller things in this time of decentralization in, in genre fiction. I can't think of anything else off the top of my head that I'm like super jazzed about. What about you? Well, um. I've been trying not to be jazzed about it because it's just it's kind of memey. But after getting back into Witcher 3, I am kind of psyched for Cyberpunk 2077, which is the next game by the guys who made the Witcher games. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm kind of psyched about that, although I'm also a little hesitant because it's a first person like shooter RPG. And uh, I haven't really seen that done right yet. Yeah. Um, But I. I'm willing to let those guys give it a try. Um, there's also, we might get Elden Ring in 2020. Elden Ring being the next game from the uh, Bloodborne guys, but with story and or world design by George R. R. Martin. Oh, right. Um, that weird ass trailer we saw. Yeah, which, and and we still know nothing about it. Um, they haven't even re- announced that it's coming out in 2020, but that just seems right. Um given that it's probably going to be one of the last games on this generation of consoles. It doesn't seem like it's the kind of game that is going to be like pushed to 2021, meaning it would be designed for the new consoles. That doesn't seem right. So anyway, um, so I'm jazzed for that because their last game, Sekiro, um, I thought was amazing and uh, whatever. I love everything they do, apparently. So I don't see how they could get this one wrong, Um, even though I have a ethical concern with giving George R. R. Martin money for anything that isn't a new book in the Game of Thrones series. But I'm also not sure I give a shit anymore. <laughs> I almost feel like maybe we should all just give up on Game of Thrones. Like we all should have gave up on Star Wars. Maybe. Um. Anyway, um, that uh, and then, of course, there's No Time to Die, which looks like Daniel Craig's last James Bond movie. And the trailer for that looks fucking incredible um i feel like that's that might be you know in 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 what seems like this period of shutting off a lot of recent franchises you know we're shutting down star wars we're shutting down the mcu um and we're going to be shutting down this kind of generation of james bond like this might be one that ends in a way that i'm like oh good that made me feel something um so i'm looking forward to that and i think in the in the in the nearest term, because I think it comes out next week, is, of course, Picard, which I've talked about a lot, but I am really, really looking forward to Picard. 
next week already. Wow. Yeah, I think it's 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 either next week or uh, next week plus a couple days. Gotcha. Um, I forgot a couple couple things. I was just looking through some stuff. Um, I, we're getting Dune this year. Are we? I'm. From what I'm seeing, the first first Dune by uh, Denny Villeneuve. Denny Villeneuve. Um, yeah. Allegedly. Sign me up. <laughs> I um, love Dune. I love Denny Villeneuve. <laughs> yeah. I don't. That's gonna that's gonna require me to read some books. I think you as well. wait. You still haven't read Dune. No, I thought that your rundown was good enough. Um, I mean, it's it's perfect. <laughs> um, um, but well, I mean, here you are talking about how you want to read some sci-fi when you finish up with Robin Hobb. It's true. Maybe you should read Dune. Maybe I should. Uh, yeah, it comes out in December, so we got a while wow. to wait for that. But um, that bonkers colors out of space movie comes out in January. Sure. That looks fun. I'm sure when that comes on, when that hits, uh, when that hits Netflix, I'm sure I'll watch it. Yeah. Um, and then the other one I'm interested in, have you seen the trailer? You must have seen it before Star Wars, the trailer for the next Christopher Nolan movie. Yeah. Tenet. I'll go see it. I mean, like you can make a lot of complaints about Christopher Nolan, but I mean, his movies always pull me in. So, I mean, I, I haven't seen Dunkirk, but I saw it in like the fucking full IMAX, like, it was, I mean, it was, it was good. I mean, it's different for sure. Like more niche than like his big blockbusters, you know what I mean? But it, it's, uh, it was good. I liked it. Yeah. I think, I think most of the complaints I think people that, that you can have about Christopher Nolan is less about the work itself and more just how it gets interpreted by a certain weird subset of fans. It's almost like Rick and Morty. Yeah. And that's fair. Or Fight Club where it's like. Yeah, Inter- Interstellar was, was, you know, or not Interstellar, um, Inception was good, but it's not as smart as you think it is. Yeah, a- and it's not like, oh, it blew my mind, man. And it's, yeah, it's um, it's a really well-made film. It's not genius, but also it wasn't trying to be genius. Like, I don't know, it's weird. Like, I, I've always looked at Christopher Nolan, like, he's a guy who makes, you know, really good genre films. Yeah, he makes like um, Interstellar or no, man, I keep getting it. Inception is like a heist movie with a cool twist that it involves memories and yeah. like it takes place in in like in your dreams. I'm like that's it. That's what it is. It's not this mind bending like oh man. And Interstellar is like it's just a it, it's a time dilation sci fi movie and and it's really well executed. But that's all it is. Um, now, I do think that, you know, all of these things have complaints, but um, I just I, I, I just feel like it's Christopher Nolan, I feel like gets knocked for the fact that his movies don't live up to a standard that dummies set for them. <laughs> I don't I know. I agree 100 percent. I agree. It looks good. Yeah, it looks interesting. I like that they're keeping it pretty you yeah. know, close to the chest on what it's about, at least at this it's, point. He's but. making a spy movie with some time travel in it. OK, fine. Yeah. Good. Do it. <laughs> you know what movie I'm not going to see? Uh, Trolls Looking 3. Birds of Birds <laughs> Birds of Prey. Yeah, pass. It's a hard pass. Yeah, just like looks bad. Um, I'll probably end up going to see A Quiet Place Part 2 just because like Shay liked the first one. I like the first one. You know, it's not a perfect movie, but uh, it's compelling. I don't know if it needs a sequel, but we'll probably go see it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I'm passing on that one too. I, yeah, you weren't a big I fan of not the, yeah. like Quiet Place. Uh, but you're gonna go see New, New Mutants, right? Because that's fucking actually coming out. <laughs> oh no, I'm not. 
Yeah, I can't believe that movie's actually getting made. Because for a while there, it's like, this movie's been effectively done for like, what, almost like two years? Yeah. It's just like, okay. Oh, it's going to be a disaster. It's going to, yeah. it is going to have the same problems uh, that Suicide Squad and Solo and Justice League had where it's a movie that got entirely retooled because I mm-hmm. think that's what happened. That's one of the reasons it, it got pulled yeah. is because it was, they, they had to like, they really tried to retool it into a completely different movie, which means it's going to be a fucking mess. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, I, I think I'll wait to hear if it's good, bad, or just bad, bad. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully we get it. Hopefully we get a, a good, bad, but yeah, there's really, I mean, there's not a lot like, I still haven't even watched the Godzilla movie yet. So the Godzilla vs Kong movie is like, not making my list yet and we're probably due for I mean, a new mission impossible right think soon actually i think they just got announced oh they're bringing out that morbius movie that everyone asked for what that was that they were serious about that yeah it's coming out fucking starred jared fucking leto oh no and allegedly the venom 2 is coming out in october i think that's filming though yeah woof it's gonna be a weird year Ugh, that's fine that's fine <laughs> that's fine <laughs> that's fine um yeah, I mean, as always, I'll go see the Marvel films. So it's it's that I'll I'll go see Dune, Black Widow, and Black what's Widow the other and Eternals. Year? Oh, Eternals, Eternals, oh, that's right? Oh, yeah. That I I don't know. Like I the the Black Widow trailers. I'm like, okay, sure. I, I, this is probably fine. I don't I don't know if it's for me, but like, meh. Okay, you did this, but Eternals, and obviously none of us have seen anything about it, but uh. That just seems exhausting. It's a lot of fucking characters in the movie. And I mean, a lot of the actors are like, it's got a great cast. Like, I can't believe they got all these people in a single movie. Like, must have been super fucking expensive. They must be really going in. Like, you know, and I'll give it a shot. Like, Guardians was a no- nothing brand that I didn't know that had a lot of characters. So I was just like, oh, I don't know about this, but it worked out. Yeah, but I feel like Guardians had a pitch of like, um, you know, it, it, it's um, it's the Dirty Dozen but it's in space and it's and it's Marvel and it's going to be kind of a comedy. Mm-hmm. I'm like, OK, yeah, got it. But like Eternals, like what is this movie? I just keep all I keep hearing is like all of this stuff about how it ties into this and it ties into that. And it's a blah, blah, blah. And it takes place over 3000 years. And I'm like, oh, I don't I can't. <laughs> it just sounds like it just sounds exhausting. Yeah. All I'm hearing is like Jack Kirby, Jack Kirby, Jack Kirby, which like, OK, like well, I'm fine with that conceptually but like i just need like i I just don't know what this movie is like is it gonna be lord of the rings with a marvel twist because i'm like okay maybe i could see that movie or is it we're kicking off our fantasy franchise or is it this is now the seed for phase 40 or whatever we're in now and and this is the kickoff to the grand conflict I just all of it seems like a lot. Yeah, I it's a, it's a fair, very fair uh, take. I think that we got to know more. I, I, I we, don't we know. know more. We got to know all more. We know yeah, is, just... All we know is a cast list and all of this weird meta text about what this movie's supposed to do. Yeah. Once again, that's why I feel like this is a weird year. It's just like there's really not anything that I'm like super besides Dune, like super, super, super jazzed about. And We'll see. I mean, I'm really hoping that I'm. I might try and like watch Picard and just be like, "How does this land on a non-star?" That's actually like, an I'm, interesting question. Just like, is this a good show by itself? Like, do I get it? You know, I don't 
I mean, I know a little bit, right? Like you've explained some things and I've, you know, I absorb things through osmosis as being alive, yeah. but, uh, I mean, and a nerd, but he, maybe I he will. was a captain and, and he was a good captain and now he's not. <laughs> and they have spaceships and Klingons. You're probably ready. Yeah, probably. And there's like, you know, different like robots. They have, there's future stuff going on and there's future stuff going space on. Space stuff. Oh, how about you know that? future stuff, you know space stuff, you're ready. All right, we'll do it. <laughs> All right. Uh, I guess one last final thing, because this is a long episode, but we forgot. We never really thought up on the end of The Mandalorian. Yeah, Um. I think that uh, that was a very, that was an ep- excellent episode three, Um. and I can't wait to see what they do with episode four. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's about how I felt, too. I thought that, I, I will say, I could watch, like, the two speeder bike bros hang out, like, for a while. Yeah, that was good. Um, kind of goofy, but just like just just Star Wars enough that I was like, all right, okay. I'm like, it was good. Like once again, once again, the action still is a little bit left to be desired, but like we actually had plot, and I feel like I don't know why we couldn't have done this like midway through the season because it's not like we spent the last five episodes like really getting to know our characters. That's correct. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I'm in. Like it, it's fine. Like the the end was interesting. We at least got our little. The show was so much instantly so much better when there was an ensemble cast. Yeah. So the fact that they broke up the ensemble cast then I was like, oh, come on, guys. Can't you go along like Carl, man? Let's go hang out Baby Yoda some more. Uh, so and also like there were some things were just like, why? Like we're like, we're going to stay here. I'm like, but but why, though? Wh- why? Like we killed some of the stormtroopers, but like there was a lot of them. Like the Empire's coming back. I, mean, I know you think that guy is dead, like the moth, but he he's great, by the way. Oh, yeah. Giancarlo Esposito? Great, yeah. Well, you never watched Such Breaking a, Bad, right? Yeah, I, I did. I, I knew he was a great actor, but, like, I wasn't sure he was going to fit in this because we've had some, like, people I didn't I, I don't feel are fitting yeah. in this Star Wars universe. He's, a, he's such a fucking yes. good Star Wars villain. Yes, he is. Holy shit. So I'm very excited that he's going to be a reoccurring, you know, baddie and, and on the tr- on the hunt. So And we have a plot now. Like, we got to go find <laughs> Baby Yoda's home planet. Like, cool. So I kind of feel like this is like almost like a, a a prologue to like what will be an actual show. Yes, I hope. Yeah, but we'll see. Well, and and this, you know, they're gonna and well, are they gonna try to return him to the Jedi or are they gonna try to? I wasn't clear on that. Um, because I believe they said they're just gonna try and find the home planet because right, they weren't. Well, e- either way, I mean, one of the things I really liked was for the first time in all of Star Wars. We've had people talk about the Jedi f- from a non-mythic standpoint. Like they yeah. were just like the, the Mandalorians were just talking about the Jedi and talking about them like, oh, they're like a hostile cult of warriors. You know, and mm-hmm. it's like, oh, wait, what are you telling me that there's somebody in the Star Wars universe who has an opinion about the Jedi that are that isn't just um, well, we're the Sith and evil and they are our mortal enemy. Or, you know, just like the Han Solo, like, I don't know about this religion hogwash. Um, but like, huh, wow. <laughs> I didn't know well, I needed that. But look, that's just fat. That's great. And, and it also seemed like our main characters, like, they, they just seem to know nothing about right, it. Right. Which you know makes I mean? sense. Like, which makes sense. Like, do people know? Like, people know who, like, from my understanding of the way the world worked in this point in this new canon, like, people probably know who maybe know some people's names and like they're from the leaders of the rebellion, like Leia and that, but like, do they know that like there's a, there's a Jedi out there Has Luke started his new Academy yet. Like, did he train other Jedi? Like that's all been very unclear to me. I mean, I'm sure it's in some of the 
the new books and stuff, but like, I don't know that they would even know there's Jedi to go to. Right. Right. Like, and, and the movies in this period, you know, between six and seven really haven't ever explained like the original trilogy never really explained. Like we knew that the Jedi, like there were not a lot of them. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but they never went out of their way to be like, oh, yeah, it's like when Yoda dies, it's pretty much just you, Luke. Like as in like the last Jedi ever. It always just felt like it was like, yeah, maybe in this part of the galaxy. But like there might be others just like hanging out on other planets somewhere. We don't know. Um, we just know that he had to seek out Master Yoda on Dagobah. Like there might be Master yeah. Floofadoo on Bebabop. Um, <laughs> and... So I, I I really wouldn't mind if the Mandalorian like ended up crossing paths with just some other Jedi who survived the purge, because you can't tell me that really the way we're supposed to interpret Star Wars lore based on the prequels is that literally the only Jedi left was Obi-Wan and Yoda. Like literally it's just two. Right. And we know it's not true because there's that rebel oh, show. Right. And they have a couple, has, a couple kicking around. Yeah. And we know that. Ashoka is in that she's the main character from Clone Wars mm-hmm. and there's all this hubbub. I don't want to fucking talk about Rise of Skywalker, but um, I came back to work and people are like, once I'm like, I don't want to talk about it anymore. I just don't, I can't <laughs> get it out of my bad fucking face. Bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the voices in the scene where Ray is hearing the other Jedi uh, is the voice actress who plays Ashoka, which people then interpreted like, Oh, that means Ashoka must be dead. And the, and like the, Clone Wars guy was like, mm, maybe not, maybe like he was pretty coy about it. Uh, my guess is that because we know like Rebels, there's the main the main Jedi who survived the purge, and then I think his name's Kassan, and then there's like the Force sensitive kid that he like trains up to be a new Jedi. I'm pretty sure Kassan dies in that show. Spoiler: potentially that show I've never watched, <laughs> but show I haven't um, seen. <laughs> uh, but I don't think we know like. There's nothing after like that show ended like definitively and Ashoka was in that show too and also did not die. So like we know definitely there are other Jedi, at least by the point of somewhere between three and four are still out there somewhere. Right. And allegedly we see the ship from Rebels in Rise of Skywalker. Fine, whatever. My thought, my thought process is so that dark saber that mm-hmm. uh, Moff Gideon used is an important piece of equipment from both Clone Wars and Rebels. Most, especially in Tide of the Mandalorians, which are very fleshed out in those shows. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a live action version of one of the Jedi from those shows. That seems like the kind of that seems like a a good business move on Disney's part, which means yeah. they'll probably do it. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see someone or some even just maybe just allusion to them or something like that, because like at some point you're going to have to involve some other force sensitive people in the show because you have one of your two main characters is, you know, force sensitive and to just have him be the only one is going to be strange unless we're to assume that all that species are force well, sensitive who knows you can't i mean look um, you, you, it's star wars the force has to be a part of it you know not yeah. doesn't have to be the main part of it but you know it's a it's a thing in the universe yeah but like once again like they all seem to have no idea what it, it which even is totally is. which is which is great it's totally fine and yeah. and i will say another thing that i was was so refreshing um with that scene with the dark saber um is i feel like this is the first time in um it's not the first time but because because they did it a little bit in the the new trilogy movies but like look it's somebody using a jedi weapon 
just as a fucking weapon. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's no like, oh, is Goff Darth, is Moff Gideon Sith? It's like, no, he's just a guy with a sword. He found a sword. Like, that's what these things are. They're just weapons. And mm-hmm. to just see, you know, these things that so far the the trilogy slash dumb shits who don't understand Star Wars, like, they've always put this, like, totemic importance on, you know, so much of the, like, the ephemera where it's like, oh, you know, like, oh, it would be so great to see so-and-so pick up a lightsaber and become a Jedi. It's like, it doesn't, those things aren't necessarily, it's just a sword. The Jedi use yeah. them. But you don't need to be a Jedi to use them. Right. Like we see it in Embrace Race Back. Like Han uses a lightsaber to cut open the Tauntaun. Right. Because it's just a it's just a tool. Um, yeah. But like to just start to see some of these things like get disconnected from. I don't know. I just feel like so much of Star Wars slash an interpretation of Star Wars is so obsessed with Jedi and Sith and legacies and dynasties and all of this garbage that like just be like oh yeah no he's just a it's just a weapon that this that he has it's fine yeah. yeah yeah so i mean i think it'll be it'll be interesting to see where they go i think that the like i said i think they actually have the start of a show with some real plot and they led some seeds that we can hopefully get some reoccurring characters i once again i hope they commit to at least some some sort of ensemble cast because it just can't you can only do so much with yeah what you've got going right now and i don't know the, the ensemble cast was good car weathers is great cara dune is great <laughs> yes like, oh i i liked all of it i i liked yeah. you know um um i liked the, the the little scene where they the double fake out of like oh it's an r2 oh no it's a monster r2 oh he just <laughs> wants to steer the boat like i like that yeah. that was nice yeah yeah so we'll say hopefully optimistic yeah i don't see how this could get I don't see how the Mandalorian could go wrong at this point. Yeah, like, to be terrible. It might just be it might just be fine. Right. Which is fine. The, the, the worst it can do is just be boring. Yeah. Um and it might it might end up being boring, in which case whatever. <laughs> Got it. Like I say, when well, you when you have sure no you expectations, you things. never get disappointed. I refuse. I only can Greg, I can only do it about the real world. I can't do it about my fiction world too. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> is that the right approach? Um Give up on the real world and only live in my own fantasy universes? I feel like maybe opposite would be the way to go, but, you know, it's 2020. Everybody's fine in their own way. See, but I feel like we get more, like, you're just setting yourself a disappointment when you're going to try and trust in the real world. (sighs) If the first less than two weeks of 2020 are anything to be... (laughs) It's going to get... To base Everything just gets worse. Yeah. (laughs) It's going to be a long year. Oh, Uh, it really is. But it's a year of transition for sure. (laughs) That's a very nice way to put it. <laughs> well, we could talk about a million other things, I'm sure, but uh, it's been a long time. It has. And I'm sleepy. Yes. So, uh, apologies if you were expecting, like, a, what was the best movie of this year? What was this? We kind of just decided, like, you, you already know our opinions. We talked about the things we liked already. Um, filled in some holes. Uh, I also didn't, like, you know, watch that many extra things we didn't talk about. So, here we are. Here we are. And I'm going to, I'm going to keep, uh, I've been, I've been doing some, doing a lot of pondering for sequel rebuild. Uh-huh. Uh, I need to give myself a little bit of, uh, some space cause I was just too angry. Not even angry, just like, just disappointed. Uh, so, but now I feel like I've, I've got some distance and I'm going to, I'm going to dive in pretty hard here. All right. I'm looking forward to it. It can't uh, be worse than what we got. Well, <laughs> it can't be because it's just going to be an outline. So pretty hard to fuck up an outline because a lot of the mistakes are you know 
execution. But yeah, I think I do want to watch. I think my, part of my goal is to rewatch all six again before the the, uh, the other six um, before I, I go in. Cause I need to recrystallize some, some thoughts and feelings about star mm. Wars. Cause I feel a little bit dis- in disarray right now. So have that to look forward to in 2020 as well. Got it. All right. I think, did we do it? Did we, did we cover off on, on 2019? We're closing the book. All right. Goodbye. 2019. You're the worst of all possible years. Well, I mean, it's pretty bad, but <laughs> it's not great. I'm sure people could argue that like 1943, you know, 1863, you know, maybe like probably a couple years during the black death. Yeah, I know there were plagues <laughs> and, and yeah, I know it. <laughs> Um, so it's not the worst of all possible years, but it wasn't great. But anyway, it's, it's pretty bad in in recent memory for sure. And hopefully we can rebound. I'm going to hope that this, the stuff in the beginning of this year is just spillover from like, you couldn't shove any more shit in the 2019 team. So I had to spill a little more than the next year, but we're going to, you know, we're going to move on from that. We're moving on onward and upward. All right, guy. See See you in 2021. Wait, what?